Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Black and White Sports Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Quentin Corkywell. I have a very special episode coming up for you all today. Now, it's Sunday night. It was originally supposed to be this episode just about March Madness. But um, other things in the sports world <laughs> happened today. And Selection Sunday was just about third on the things that happened today in terms of importance. Um, Tom Brady, shockingly but not shockingly, actually not shockingly at all, came out of retirement. I was on a plane. I was on an airplane. I'm currently in St. Louis. And by the time I got off the plane, Tom Brady was a Buccaneer. And Murray State and San Francisco are playing each other in the round of 64. Selection committee. What what the hell's up with that? Why, why are we putting two awesome mid-majors together in the first round? Makes no sense. But um, Tom Brady, I am not shocked at all. I, so over this short retirement period where I think Tom Brady realized that he needed football, <laughs> that he couldn't handle retirement, that he, he just didn't want to be um, – he just didn't want to be away from football, and uh, it was very clear in his social media posts that um, he was aware of that. And um, I think over this retirement period, I thought to myself, I'm never going to rule out Tom Brady coming back to the NFL until he dies. And even if he does die, I'm going to still hold out a sliver of hope that he's still alive. So Brady's coming back to the Buccaneers. Now, what does this mean for the NFL and the Buccaneers? Well, for the NFL, Tom Brady's back like he never left. <laughs> Simple as that. Um, the NFC uh, returns a contender in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And for the Buccaneers, yes, their team just got a whole lot better um, than it has been over these past 30 days without Tom Brady. Um, I've been thinking about their draft strategy a little bit. Um, I think they should go all in on offensive line. They did lose Ali Marpet to retirement. I think they should shore up the guard spot. Um, when you look at certain prospects, I think a Kenyon Green out of Texas A&M, I think he'd fit like a glove. Uh, Zion Johnson out of Boston College, he's a nice fit. Um, just to shore up that guard spot, because they re-signed Ryan Jensen today. That's huge. Um, but they do need offensive line. Just need to protect Brady, because they get Godwin back. I, I, do they get Godwin back next year? I don't know. Um, they get Evans back. They're, they're running it back, basically, this year. They're running it back. I think they're running it back. Um, so yeah, contender remains in Tampa Bay and, um, gosh, I mean, whenever something in the sports world has tried to take the spotlight, I feel like over these last couple of weeks, whether it be selection Sunday, whether it be baseball coming back, football just goes, comes right back in, whether it be Aaron Rodgers, who I feel like is going to find some way to put his name back in the media conversation, uh, whether it be Amari Cooper getting traded to Dallas, whether it be Carson Wentz on the move, whether it be Russell Wilson on the move, whether it be Kirk Cousins signing a one-year $35 million deal to stay with the Minnesota Vikings, then tweeting, let's go get that Lombardi. Let's, let's make the playoffs and have some success there first, Kirk. Um, that's that for NFL news. God, um, there, was a few, there were a few baseball trades. That was interesting, especially the Yankees uh, trading Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela for Isaiah Kiner Falefa and Josh Donaldson. Um, just my quick thoughts on that. Gary, it was fun while it lasted. It was fun. When he was good, it was fun. And same with Gio. Gio was just, I don't know, he was stability. He was, he was very stable. 
And for the Yankees, who did not prove to be very stable sometimes, I don't know, there's just a lot of inconsistency, especially with Gary. Um, Gio was very consistent, and I appreciated that. Um, but Gary, I hope he finds success in Minnesota. Um, I hope he can become more consistent because when Gary is scary, Gary is very scary. Um, it's for the Yankees. They get back really good baseball player in Josh Donaldson, really good baseball player in Isaiah Counterfalefa. Um, it's clear, at least with IKF, that he wants to be here. Um, trying to help shore up that uh, left side of the infield. But um, I, I like the trade. I like the trade for both teams, I got to say. But um, for March Madness, the original intent of this episode, um, over this past week, I have gathered a lot of people that I know who follow different schools that are going to be in the tournament. And I basically gave them 10 minutes, uh, well, a little longer than that, with guys like Gabe and Sam Parks you'll see in a minute. Um, basically gave them five, ten minutes to state their case for why their team is going to win the national championship. And I got a bunch of those. And they range in variability from the favorites to we got Gonzaga, we got um, Kentucky. And they range from, uh, I guess, the sort of underdogs. Uh, we had Seton Hall, we had Miami in there. Um, the, eight to, the seven, eight, nine, ten seeds, they're a little more far-fetched. But um, there's still a case. I mean, I think there's going to be a ton of upsets in this year's tournament. That is my personal opinion. I think it's going to get wild. It's going to get crazy. I'm personally picking a lot of upsets uh, when I'm filling out my brackets. That's just how the season has gone. There's been very little consistency, and I expect that to carry over into the tournament. But um, I don't know. I had a lot of fun conversations with uh, a lot of very good people who know a lot about college basketball. And that was the intent of this episode, to just talk about college basketball, because I'm going to say it again, March Madness is my favorite time of the year. And I'm glad I did something like this. I was, I'm glad I got to sit down with so many people and talk about college basketball for um, an upwards of, I believe, a combined two hours, which uh, I, I had a lot of fun doing. So, um, yeah, enjoy that. March Madness uh, begins on Thursday. The first four begins on, I want to say, Tuesday or Wednesday. It's one of those days. Um, quick bracket thoughts, too. May as well throw that in there. Um, I don't think Duke is going to make it to the Elite Eight. Uh, Providence, South Dakota State made me very upset because I wanted to pick South Dakota State to pull an upset, but I really believe in Providence. Um, I think we should chill out on Iowa. I think the Iowa hype is understandable, but... I think we should I think we should calm down um, I'm still trying to figure out whether I want to pick Arizona to win the national championship because I thought it was like a cool and trendy thing to like not pick the favorite aka Gonzaga and I thought the next best one was Arizona but like basically all the experts I've seen have picked Arizona to at the very least make the national championship so now I'm a little weary of that <laughs> um, what else do I have uh, watch out for Murray State I think they're gonna do very very well um i don't know i just think they're going to be a lot of upsets that's that's my personal that's my personal opinion um we're going to obviously dive more in depth into the tournament matchups uh, later this week before the tournament starts and then we're, and then we're going to have our reaction shows we're going to be covering it a lot and I'm, I'm, very, I'm very excited to be doing that um so without further ado let's get into some college basketball talk let's get into our first guest, Gabe Shaner, who will be stating the case for North Carolina. Enjoy, everybody. 
All right, Gabe Shaner is here. Gabe, this is your first time back on the podcast since I believe last year. It's good to have you back, man. Yeah, it's good to be back. So you oh, are man. currently at the University of North Carolina, and uh, they got <laughs> they got a huge win last night, ninety four eighty one over Duke, spoiling Coach K's last game. Um, first, before we get to UNC's case for the Natty, which uh, you were rather pessimistic on, but that's okay, I understand. <laughs> Um, what was the environment like last night in Chapel Hill? Talk to me about it. Okay, so uh, I'll walk you through it. So I was watching the first half with my friends. You know, we started out the game on pretty nice little run. We we're up by seven, and then you know Duke starts hitting shots. So like the whole time we're like, okay, like we could actually do this. Like it's close. We know it's going to be close. We we liked. A lot of my friends bet on the uh, bet on the line because they were like, "Oh, you know, like eleven points. That's like pretty. That's pretty generous in Duke's favor because it's a Duke UNC game at Cameron. UNC also always plays better. I don't know why that is, uh, but also all the pressure. This is what we were talking about with my friends. We we're like, all the pressures on Duke. They've been hyping up this game. It's Mike Shevsky's last game at Cameron. Uh, like they've been having." So much press coverage, um, just all all the pressures on you know, Paulo, Trevor, Mark Williams, uh, AJ Griffin, all these players to you know step up to the task of you know making Coach K's last home game. Also, don't forget like, the sold out crowd and the ninety Duke alum that were there. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Not to mention uh, uh, Ken Ken Jung there too. <laughs> uh, what's who who else is there there's uh seinfeld was there uh adam silver was there it was crazy crazy um a crazy crowd and also um i had a couple friends who went because their parents went to duke uh these tickets were like minimum five thousand dollars that's like the worst seat in the house is five thousand dollars so if you want your whole family to go that's like a $15,000 investment for the worst seats in the house. And you know, like the, these people aren't going to want the worst seats in the house. They're getting the nice one. So it's like a $30,000 like trip to go to this game. And so, okay. First half, you know, we're watching and then um, RJ Davis hits this buzzer beater three to put us only down two at the half. So then me and my friends were like, okay, we're hungry. We should go for dinner on Franklin Street, which is where everyone rushes if UNC beats Duke, just in case. Like, just in case, because we want to be the first ones to rush. And uh, so so we sit down for dinner. Like, it takes a while to get seated. You know, they, they wait to till the whole party gets there to seat the uh, seat people. So we don't even get started ordering until there's, like, eight minutes left in the game. And then UNC goes on this crazy run. We're up by, you know, like five and then you are and then Duke will hit a shot. It'll be like a two or three point lead. And then UNC will hit a three. So then like the lead just kept growing marginally uh, each play. And then um, I think UNC outscored Duke by like 15 in the second half because they were just on this crazy run um, where they were like plus, I think it might've been like plus 20 or something. Um mm-hmm. And Duke could not, Duke could not get anything to go their way. Um, 
and everyone on UNC was helping out. You had RJ Davis playing his best game of the season, scoring, I think, 21, maybe. Uh, Baycott. Yeah. Baycott putting up crazy numbers as usual. Manic putting up crazy numbers as usual. Sea Love getting to the line, not really shooting all that well, but, you know, getting fouled, um, especially down the stretch and hitting some clutch free throws. I don't think he missed from the line. And then shout out to Leaky Black for his lockdown defense. He was uh, – he, he had the tall task of guarding Paulo. And, you know, Paulo's – Paulo's going to get his buckets, and, and he definitely did. But I, I, don't, I don't think he was all that efficient in that game. And I think that's partially due to, you know, Leaky playing uh, crazy good defense. And then – so we, we were on Franklin Street. We are getting dinner. And then – like we only just got like the appetizers and there's two minutes left in the game. We run and we like hurry over to the front. We're like, we need the bill now. And we just like, someone just pays for the entire thing. We're just like, okay, we just need one person to like, just foot this bill. Cause we, we're going to win this thing. We're actually going to win this thing. And then like, as the clock was winding on five, four, three, two, one, like I've never been in a louder, more electric environment than that. Everyone sprinted out of the restaurant onto Franklin street. People were burning chairs, climbing trees, climbing lampposts, um, taking down street signs. It was absurd. And then you could just hear this like back and forth yelling tar heels. And we were singing the fight song, alma mater. We were just like, everyone was just so excited. There are some, some nice expletives. We uh, hurled at at Duke and at Coach K, and uh, you know it was just it was just an absurd environment. Uh, I've never seen anything like it, and I don't think I ever will. Um, and I'm just so thankful that I got to experience a Duke win at Cameron for Coach K's last game, my first year of college at UNC. And like this is really big deal. I think Davis. I think in a in his first year as a coach with a lot of up and down uh moments where it was like oh man unc can't catch a break losing to pit at home especially that was like a point where it's like all right this is we need to get our shit together um and he just put on a brave face and marched into cameron and, and pulled off an insane upset probably one of the most insane ones this year and it definitely gives unc a strong case to be in the tournament uh win it i i don't really think so but wait, hold on wait wait, wait, wait pause pause okay. time, time out yeah, for yeah. One, let's time out for one time second okay, okay. first of all okay sounds like a lot of fun that yes. sounds like a lot of fun first year of college unc beats duke in duke's last game you guys have similar reactions to i loved university of maryland twitter was going off that was funny as hell um i don't know just like the fact that there were 90 Duke alum stadium sold out, as you said, game was hyped up and yeah, whole lot. There was zero pressure on North Carolina to win, not supposed to win this game. And that's where you could tell like Duke get that bad on offense. They just gave up 94 points on the other side, yeah. 55 in the second half of North Carolina. But no, that sounds absolutely electric. I think North Carolina is absolutely going to be in the tournament. I mean, there's a three seed in the ACC tournament, getting a double by finishing the regular season 23 and eight. Um, they're going to be in the tournament. They're going to be somewhere in that seven to ten range, probably. 
Um, in prime spots, pull. Hey, maybe an upset over a one or a two seed. But uh, Gabe, the reason I brought you on today, this you were the first one. Actually, you're the first one in this sort of week long series I'm having with hopefully a bunch of people about uh, giving the case for a team to win the national championship. And I know it might be difficult for North Carolina. It's going to be a tough road. But uh, Gabe, give me the case for North Carolina to win the national championship. Okay, the str- like I think the most compelling argument is going to have to come from like the coaching angle. Hubert Davis is uh, has put together a legendary staff, and uh, I I just think that he's been able to um, capture the uh, appeal of all of the players so well. Uh, I have a friend who's a reporter for the Daily Tar Heel, and he says that one of the things that makes this team really unique um, is that, like in in a head coach's first year, like you don't expect that everyone's gonna like adore the head coach. You know, there's gonna be some bumps in the road uh, for sure, and yeah, there have been. But these players idolize Coach Davis, which I think is really impressive for someone uh, obviously he was in the UNC system for a while. So uh, he probably was able to capture um, some respect through being an assistant coach. But I think just like the fact that he's ascended to stardom in his first year as a coach is really, really cool. And I think coaching is like an un- underappreciated part of March madness. Um, okay. Next looking at personnel, um, They've got some shooters for sure. Uh, Mannix, Electric, Davis can get it going in the mid-range for sure. Caleb Love, when he's on, he can hit any shot on the court. Like he can do a windmill dunk on a fast break. He can pull up at half court, LaMelo style. Um, Leaky Black can hit threes too. He doesn't all, he sometimes will clank them, you know, because uh, he's really mostly a, a like defender. Um, a really, really good player. And then Puff Johnson also brings some energy off the bench. And then Mondo can really, really get it done on the inside, capture boards, play really, really powerful defense. Um, and then Dontre Styles is a player that doesn't get a lot of attention or playing time, but he's a really, really athletic player. There's just, there's just a lot of guys who can get like marginal things done for you that, um, I don't know that a lot of other teams have. Uh, I think UNC gets a lot of credit for being a really good three-point shooting team. And I think that that's like, that's how they're going to, that's how they're going to have to win games in the tournament. Um, Last appeal I'll make is to their uh, hot streak. I think they've won five or six straight uh, as of now. And if they do well in the ACC tournament, they'll be riding some, pretty crazy momentum entering the tournament and momentum is really important because if you have a really good team like Duke losing late in the season, this is going to be kind of killer for their momentum. But on the flip side, you know, the North North Carolina just beat Duke. They have nothing to lose now. They've, they've got like this crazy mentality and also the players are like so uh, beloved across Chapel Hill, across the state of North Carolina. It's just like everyone just rallies for them and, you know, I've gotten to meet a couple of them, uh, just running into them. And they're just, they're all like, just like good guys. And, uh, you know, they have a, they have a great fan base pulling for them. So, yeah, I, I don't really know 
how likely it is that they'll win, but they could pull off some upsets for sure. Um, I probably thinking realistically, probably an elite eight uh, ceiling, but you never know. It's North Carolina basketball. UNC is always like, always it's, it's a blue blood, you know, there's, there's always a chance, you know, can never count them out. Yeah. That's, that's my, uh, that's my, that's my argument there. You may, you mentioned a couple of things. I really like one is coaching. I feel like coaching is, I don't think it's underrated, but I just feel like it doesn't get talked about enough, which I realize means underrated. Um, I don't know. You just see it in a lot of postseasons across any sport, not just college basketball. The teams that go far have good coaches. You can't have a bad coach. And Hubert Davis, like North Carolina, you can – a counterargument could be like, ah, they're not ranked, and they were ranked at the beginning of the season. Dude, they're 23-8. and eight. Like, that's still really good, and they've beaten Michigan. They just beat Duke. They've played a lot of good teams close. They played Tennessee close, I believe. They played a lot of really good games against ranked teams – Early on in the season, I know a couple of them were blowouts, but um, they have and they have caught fire of late, which is the second thing. Like the NCAA tournament's all about catching fire, and North Carolina's won five in a row, including a win over Duke and Cameron. Um, this AC tournament's going to be huge for momentum. I mean, we've seen teams in the past think of like a 2011 UConn make a huge run through the Big East tournament, ride that momentum all the way to the national. Um, I don't know. There is definitely upset potential with this team. I think national championship is far fetched. You can get, uh, I say, you can get pretty good odds. Put down a dollar, become rich if they will do win. But um, I don't know, just the coaching, the ability to catch fire, um, the, the kind of lovability with this team. I do agree. I mean, I, I had, I don't have that kind of insider perspective like you do. But yeah, it seems like North Carolina fans really love this iteration of the North Carolina Tar Heels. And I don't know. That's, I feel like that's just an ancillary but still important ingredient to a national title team. Yeah, and um, uh, yeah, I, I agree with the point about coaching being not so much underrated, but not really like popular to talk about. But I just wanted to say the assistant coaches are pretty impressive too. We've got Brad Frederick, Jeff Lebo, Pat Sullivan, uh, just just some, uh, and Sean May, big household name. So like, those are some guys behind the scenes who won't get that much credit who are putting in the hours with the players and, and getting them to be high performers like they are. And yeah, they do have this like strange lovability to them. You know, they're not all like, you know, potential NBA players. They've all like got, got chips on their shoulders. I think they'll all probably come back. I don't really see any of them going too high in the NBA draft if they left early. So I think that they all just like, are invested in UNC basketball and they all like post for each other's birthdays, you know, go out together, um, try to make, you know, make the rounds, like making friends with UNC students. Like I've many friends that like text with Caleb Love and Armando Baycott, like on the regular, just cause like, they're just nice guys. They're into it. They're into the school. They're into like each other. And like, I, I think that that's a, that's something about a team. Like, like, you would think that they'd think that they're like, you know, too cool to be like parts of the school, but they're students too. They like, they see themselves as part of UNC. Um, and I'm sure they love all the fanfare and all the, uh, Caleb Puff, come take a selfie. You know, of course. Um, but they're also like just, just down to earth people. And I really like that. Um, so I just, I really like them. I'm pulling for them obviously. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. Oh, it's a lot of fun, man. Uh, Sean May, 
2017 March Madness legend. I didn't know he was an assistant yeah. coach, but uh, that's good to hear. Yep. I think he might be the only, like, he was, I think, most outstanding player in the Final Four that year. I think he might be the only assistant coach who has that that impressive as a, of an accolade as a as a player. Yeah, um, no doubt. And he's and he's he's into it too. All right, Gabe. Well, that was a pretty strong case. I now will root for North Carolina a little bit more based off that explanation. Yeah. But uh, I really appreciate your time. And uh, you take care, man. Yeah, you too. Go heels. All right. See you, Gabe. Peace. All right, fellow college basketball addict Sam Parks is here. Sam, how are you, man? What's going on, Quentin? Uh, so, Sam, I texted you about this series I was doing because I knew you had talked a little bit about college basketball in the past. You had shown at least a little bit of a vested interest in it, and I I hit you up, and the first thing you responded to me, you said, "Yes, I have been addicted." And I was like, you know what? Lovely. That is exactly what we need. <laughs> so, um, yeah, how has uh, your college basketball watching experience been this season? Um, it's been pretty good. I think it's this year specifically, it's really exciting. There's, like, so many updates. And there's no dominant team. Like, everyone's in it this year. So it's pretty much up for grabs, the title. Yeah, I've been saying on this pod and to other people, I'm either finishing first or last in my bracket pool. Just, I'm going to be yeah. picking an ungodly amount of upsets. Yeah. Um, I just think that's how it's going to go this year based off of what we've seen in the regular season. Um, why I brought you on. I decided since I'm trying to get as many teams as possible for the series, I would let you do two teams. So the first one I let you do is Gonzaga. Now, Gonzaga, I let you do one because there's a very, very strong case for them to be not only a national title contender, but the best team in the country. But um, no one else I know is affiliated with Gonzaga in any way, shape, or form. Like, I've had a couple of friends say to me, I didn't know Gonzaga existed until I brought them up. Like, I have never heard of anyone who has applied to school there. I don't see them out, anybody wearing Gonzaga gear. I don't see any students outside of basketball season. I don't know. It's weird. Do you think Gonzaga actually like is a is a school? Yeah, I'll, I'm gonna be completely honest. I have no clue where it is except that it's on the West Coast <laughs> because they're on the West Coast Conference. But they got a good basketball team, and you know that's all you basically need to know about them. No, I need a little more, a little more in depth. Why? What? Why is their case? Why is their case so strong to win the national title? So when you're looking at teams this year, you look at you can look at size is a big factor. You're looking at the Naismith candidates; all of them got big size. And when you look at average heights of team, Gonzaga is pretty much top ten in average height in their bench and their starters. You know, Chet Holgram, Drew Timmy, um, they got they got size. That's the first thing that pops out to them when you see them. But not only was the size, when you go to KenPalm.com and see their adjusted tempo, they rank third in the country. So they got size and they run fast, which is really impressive. Um, it, I, see, I saw a stat on Twitter the other day. It was um, a team like that had this amount of size and uh, was like top 10 in tempo. There's only been 
three in the past. It was Baylor's last year team, Gonzaga's last year team, and Gonzaga this year's team. Um, and as you know, Baylor won it last year, Gonzaga runner-ups. But Gonzaga, man, Chet Holgram, Drew Timmy, they run the floor fast, and they're big. Um, and they're locked down on defense. They're ranked sixth in the country on defense and second in the country in offense. Um, I mean, they got pretty much anything you want. And people compa- like to compare last year's season, this year's season. I honestly think the, the losses this year are going to help them because losses can help you in your NCAA season. As, like, in the past, people lose and they go on these miracle runs. Um they're at a tough conference this year. There's a lot of good candidates. The West Coast is going to get three to four teams this year. Um, and, yeah, I, I just think it's impressive. They they outrank everyone in size and in tempo. It's, it's really rare to see a team that can do something like that. Yeah, and I think the losses point definitely helps because you look at last year's team, they went into the tournament undefeated. Like, they hadn't experienced any kind of setback. And that is what worries me about, like, any team that goes into any postseason not having experienced any kind of adversity or any kind of setbacks. Like, they've experienced that along with everybody else this year. Um, Yeah, their size, their tempo is extremely impressive. Do you think Chet Holmgren's going to be a good NBA player? You know what? I've gone back and forth on this. You know, in the beginning, I thought his size is concerning to transfer to the NBA. But... As this season has gone along, he's just gotten better and better with every single game. It's been so impressive. Um, I think he leads the nation in adjusted efficiency as a player, which is crazy because he's only a freshman. Um, honestly, I think he will be a good NBA player. Like, I could see him being like that KD role on a team, you know. I mean, I definitely think he's going to need to develop a little bit and definitely put on some size, but, but like... You've seen that in the past with, like, Giannis. Like, guys can get pretty big easily. Yeah, I think with Chet there is that, like, basketball alien potential just because he's seven feet tall, can handle like a guard, walks into three-pointers like a guard. Yeah. Um, The weight is a huge concern, though, not only because he's so unbelievably skinny, but he's different than Kevin Durant in that Kevin Durant's, like, a wing scorer. He's a wing scorer. Chet's a center. That plays down low and guards and plays against other centers that are all usually bigger and stronger than him. I don't know. When I watch Chet, he just gets knocked on his butt like a lot. He falls over a lot. And I don't know. That's just something I think that concerns me just because he plays down low a lot. And he's going to go into a league with Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic. And guys that are not only big, but incredibly strong. Like, incredibly strong. That are going to have 50, 60, 70 pounds yeah. on Holmgren, despite being equivalent in height. But um, again, like, he can do a lot. <laughs> he can do so many things on a basketball court. It's just like the weight really, it, it does concern me, considering yeah, the position he, he, he plays. He would definitely need to go on a team and get matched up with a good defense around him. But yeah, I think I I think he has the potential, and I would take him top three easily just based off his potential. All right, what about Texas? So I asked you to come up with a second team just because I needed more teams, more so like a sleeper ish team. Um, Texas, talk to me. What is their case to win the national championship? Yeah, so 
Texas is definitely my sleeper team. Um, I think they're projected to be a four to six seed this year. Um, so ever since uh, Kempom.com started in 2002, every single winner of the NCAA tournament has been top 40 in adjusted offensive efficiency and top 20 in adjusted defensive efficiency. Now, the, the teams that check off that this year are obviously like Gonzaga, Arizona, Kentucky, Baylor. But one that surprises you would be Texas because they're ranked a little bit lower than a bunch of those powerhouses. So right now they're ranked 12th in defense and 32nd in offense. Um, and they have, the, they have the 20th hardest schedule in the country. Um, basically, with Texas, when I see them, I see defense wins championships. That's what I think for them. Um, they're definitely a sleeper team. They can score the ball. They're in the big. They're in the Big Twelve, um, and they show up for big games. I think they got big wins against like Kansas. They beat Kansas this year. I think they beat Texas Tech. Um, they got a good. They have quality wins this year. I could see them easily making a run. Um, as one of those like South Carolina like teams from 2017, like really good at defense and they could score the ball when they need to. Yeah, so I guess when going back to the Ken Palm thing, I guess you could point out some quote like even though everyone from what did you say 2002 has yeah. been top 40 in adjusted offensive and adjusted defensive efficiency, I guess you could point out some anomalies that at the very least just made the final four. Uh, literally all the Cinderellas, like VCU, George Mason, uh, UConn, who won the national championship. They're kind of an outlier amongst that group. But um, yeah. yeah, when you look at the teams that have won, that have gone far, they can do it on both ends of the floor. And I think that balance for Texas, now I know they're not as good, although they're balanced, they're not as good as like a Gonzaga or an Auburn or a Baylor. Um, yeah. At the same time, yeah, I mean, I think this tournament, again, is really going to be anyone's game. And if a team can catch fire, whether that be Texas, whether that be San Diego State, whether that be USC, whether that be Gonzaga, they're going to go on a roll. And Texas has shown that at points in this season. And I do think, while their argument isn't as strong, obviously, as a one seed is, I think they're one of the better uh, five to, or excuse me, pro they're probably going to up like a four to six seed probably yeah. in the tournament. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Um, Gonzaga, going back to Gonzaga, I actually do want to talk about something with Gonzaga. Do you think they're the safest bet to win? Um, I would honestly... I would honestly, it's it's so up in the air. But if if you had to like lock in on one team, I would definitely I would say Gonzaga's the safest. Yeah. Yeah, I think also something that plays into the tournament success is experience. And yeah. we've seen a lot of teams in the tournament that don't have experience but are talented, but don't have the experience falter. Uh, look at twenty nineteen Duke. Um, they lose in the Elite Eight to a very experienced Michigan State team. Uh, yeah. Look at last year, Kentucky and Duke not even making the tournament with both very talented players, but they were all freshmen. Their, yeah. All their nuclei, their nuclei were, were freshmen. 
And look at Loyola Chicago. Big reason for their success over these past few years, uh, dating back to when we were in eighth grade in 2018, um, experience, knowing their system and playing it at an elite level. Um, that kind of cohesion, that kind of um, togetherness you can't build when all of your team is relatively new. Um, and in Gonzaga, I think, has a pretty nice medley of that. Like, I know Chet Holmgren is just a freshman. Uh, I know a guy like Andrew Nemhard was a transfer that was at the same time um, he was on the team. But, like, Drew Timmy's a junior. He's been there. Julian Strother was there last year. Um, Anton Watson was there last year. He's a junior. Um, I mean, yeah, you got a lot of non-freshmen. You have the the nucleus of this Gonzaga team is non-freshmen. And I don't have the statistics of, like, the most experienced teams in college basketball. I know with a team like Miami – Miami's one of the 10 oldest teams in college basketball. Now, I know a lot of them are transfers. Charlie Moore, Jordan Miller, um, Cam, even Cam Augusti, who's already been there for a couple of seasons. Uh, th- those guys are transfers. Um, but at the same time, they've been playing a lot of college basketball. And that definitely helps, especially when you're on a kind of stage like March Madness. Um, Sam, you got any final words on Gonzaga and or Texas? Because I think both are relatively interesting teams just to talk about in general. Um, I, I give some, uh, Gonzaga, I, I give them a, a floor that they'll make the Sweet 16 and a ceiling that they're the national championships. For Texas, I'll give them a floor that they'll make the round of 32 and a ceiling that they'll be in the final four. But going back to Loyola Chicago really quick, I'd say watch out for them this year again. Can't can't deny the power of one Sister Jean. And Denzel Valentine's little brother coaching them, which I thought was weird. Shout Um, out Michigan State. (laughs) uh, But yeah, Sam, thanks for hopping on, man. I appreciate it. Of course. Happy March. All right, Ethan Corpuel is here. You know him. He's been here before. He's talked Nick, Nick's with me and Brother Morgan a few times. Um, he is also here because he's a part of this March Madness series. And Ethan, he watches Wisconsin basketball enough to be able to talk about him for a few minutes. And for him to give at least what I hope is a pretty solid case for them to win the national championship. So, Ethan, first of all, how are you? Well, after yesterday, I'm not doing great, but we'll manage. Yeah, um, losing to Nebraska, not yeah. not awesome, especially when you're talking about college basketball. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. That, that was a little bit worrying. I'm also worried about Johnny Davis because I have no idea he, he, how long he's out. And I mean, if you want me to give a case for what Wisconsin winning the national championship, I'd really can't do that without Johnny Davis playing. No, you're you're totally right. I've seen on Wisconsin social media, Wisconsin uh, blogs, no Johnny Davis equals really no chance of success in the NCAA tournament. He, I mean, obviously you have the ancillary guys that have stepped up despite Wisconsin's bench hasn't been awesome, but like they've done some stuff. I've seen a lot of Chucky Hepburn love around the Wisconsin community. Um, wow. But 
again, no Johnny Davis, no real chance for success. And we saw that in the Nebraska game after he went out of the game. Yeah. I mean, I think the big worry for me is just, like, not even the points, because I think, like, there's enough people that can mop up, like, the points. But I think it's the, the problem is the end-the-game shot-making, especially in March Madness, you know. You need that player that can, like, you can give the ball to in a close game that can hit shots. And without John Davis, constant just they just straight up don't have that. Like, you know, Brad Davidson, Chucky Hepburn, they can make shots occasionally, but, you know, I don't really, you know, tie game, like, 30 seconds left. I don't want, I don't want them taking the shot. No, that's that's a fair thought to have. So um, I'm going to give you the floor now. Assuming Johnny Davis is going to play in the NCAA tournament, give me your case for the Wisconsin Badgers to win the national championship. Assuming John Davis is playing, I'm going to compare it to UCLA last year. And I know it's a little bit out there. I think Wisconsin's a lot better than UCLA was last year before the tournament, but they kind of got similar vibes to me. I think when you look at Wisconsin's stats, nothing really jumps off the page. They're a pretty average team across the board. I mean, outside of Johnny Davis, you just have a bunch of average players. Nothing really, like, screams national championship contender about them. But I think Johnny Davis, similar to Johnny Juzang, can really have a – I think he can have a breakout tournament. I think he's a borderline top 10 pick before NSA tournament, but I think if he really goes off in the NSA tournament, I could see him sneaking into you know top six, seven picks, really. And, I mean, I think that as long as the biggest issue for Wisconsin, I think, is hitting threes. They're, they're a terrible three-point shooting team. They're, like, the worst team in the country. I think they're shooting around 31% from three as a team, which is not good. But I really – I think if Wisconsin can hit their shots, which – they get good. They get good looks, but they just can't hit them. But I think if Wisconsin can knock down shots, and as long as other people step up when Johnny Davis gets doubled, I mean, I think this team—they're very. Greg Gard's a great coach, and it's a pretty experienced team. So I think if they're in close games, I don't think they get nervous about it like other younger teams. They're a very experienced team in that regard. So I think as long as they, as long as they can stay in games and hit shots, I think they can pretty much go toe to toe with any team in the country. And you know, it's March Madness, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, you listed a couple of very valid uh, for and against. I mean, the four experience matters in the NCAA yeah. tournament. I mean, I was just talking with my friend Sam about this, about Texas and Gonzaga, and just the tournament in general. Um, the teams that win, a lot of them not necessarily have been there before, but they've just been playing a lot of college basketball and have been playing together. And when you look at a guy like Brad Davison, who yes. it feels like he's been there since I was in middle school, which very may well, which may very well be the case. But um, like he knows the team, he knows what's up. He's been there before. He's been in the tournament before. Um, Johnny Davis is a gamer. I mean, we saw in the January contest against Purdue, drops thirty seven on a very good Purdue team. Like he has yeah, stepped it's... up in big games, and big time yeah. players step up in big games. Um, at the same time, actually, and you did mention Greg Gard. Greg Gard has now won, what, two Big Ten regular season titles, I believe, in the last three seasons, or at the very least shared him, because I know Illinois caught him at the end this year. Yeah, and there was, yeah, there was a coach one a few years ago. But, um, he's a really good coach. He stood up to Jerron Howard. That was pretty impressive. Yeah, um, but the con, yeah, they're not an awesome shooting team. They are very far from an awesome shooting team. <laughs> They're terrible shooting team. And I think 
you just can't be one dimensional. Like you have to be able, you have to make teams respect you from beyond the arc, and that just hasn't really been the case at all this year with Wisconsin. Like they can obviously get their own inside, but if you can't hit perimeter shots, especially yeah, just- in today's basketball where perimeter yeah. shooting is vital to success. I don't know. That's just such a big roadblock, especially if they do play against teams that do play very fast, that hoist up a lot of threes, that just play at a much faster pace. I just, I just don't love them in those games. Yeah, they can't. I don't think they can win like a really like they can't. They can't win a running gun game like unless they hit shots, which is difficult. And then I just worry also like. If they start, you know, they start doubling Johnny Davis and like, you know, start doubling Tyler Ball in the post, like, like they can't, they can't kick the ball out and, you know, have like a reliable shooter to hit those shots to like, you know, make them respect it. Like they can't respect the double team. They got, you know, use double, they just shoot like scores and it's kind of over for them. But hey, at the very least, if you're going to think of any silver lining, should Wisconsin like go out early in the tournament or whatever, talk about exceeding expectations. Like, going into the season, I don't think anybody thought they were going to win the Big Ten, like, let alone be a two-seed. No, they were were supposed to be tens in the Big Ten. Yeah, they were supposed to be somewhere near the bottom. And here they are, once again, just like they always are. They were able to figure it out, and I think that's a testament to not only the experience of the players, but, again, Greg Gard. Coach of the year. At At the very least, one of them. Um, any final thoughts on Wisconsin? You got any predictions, anything like that? Um, I don't, I don't know about predictions yet because I don't know who's going to be in the region. That's but, fair, that's fair. Uh, I mean, I think like you talked about like the experience thing, I think that's huge in March Madness and like, although you sometimes have some like, you know, super like really good teams that, you know, have a bunch of like underclassmen, I think you see like a lot of these teams like Gonzaga or Virginia that like have won, like it's because they've been there before. You know, everyone, like, made fun of Virginia for, like, losing, you know, and choking all those years, and then, you know, finally it pays off. So I think a team like Wisconsin just being there, and it's, like, you know, consistently been in the tournament the past few years, having people like Brad Davidson, like, having that, like, experience, like, clutch guard on your team can get you a further, like, just a round further on its own. Yeah, totally, man. Um, I'm excited to see what happens with Wisconsin. Obviously, we have some family members, uh, a couple yeah, of uncles that attended on this. UW-Madison. <laughs> So uh, best of luck to the Badgers and Ethan. Thanks for hopping on, man. Hey, great New York sports night last night. Rangers and Knicks, man. Rangers and Knicks won. Yeah, so that, that saved my night. That was that. That was great. I love seeing that. Uh, all right, Ethan. I will talk to you later. Take care, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. yeah. Peace. All right, Tyler Gallo is here, former colleague of mine at Bethesda Big Train, current. Robert Morris University student, covers the Colonials basketball team. Uh, you could find some of his games. He's been on ESPN Plus a good bit this year. Uh, Tyler, first of all, how are you? You know, doing well. Just uh, on spring break, so, you know, just winding down, getting ready for some March Madness as well. And, uh, yeah, ready to ready to state my case for my team here. So, yeah, I tasked you with picking really any team you wanted because Robert Morris was unfortunately eliminated in their conference tournament a little bit ago. And you picked a team that Robert Morris played early on this year. You were able to see them in person. Tyler, state the case for the Kentucky Wildcats to win the national championship. 
All right. Well, when Kentucky wins, they're doing it by almost 14 points every single time. So when they play a team that is inferior, which is largely who they're probably going to play, at least in the first two rounds of the tournament, they're doing pretty well against them. And also, you got to look out for – and when there's guys like uh, – there's smaller uh, forwards going up against a guy like Oscar Sheepway, they're not going to have a good time. And I saw him in Kentucky against RMU. He dropped 22 rebounds. Um, and 21 points. He had a ridiculous game, and you know, for these teams that have guys that are on the shorter side for the forwards, like six nine, six ten. Yeah, Shibway's on the shorter side too, but he doesn't really he doesn't really play like it. Um, and then of course they've got their you know they got four guys in double digits. They got Xavier Wheeler, Ty Ty Washington, all these guys on their team that can make you pay in many different ways. And you know, I think that Kentucky honestly is the is definitely a sleeper pick to win it all. There's some teams that are better than them. They've beaten some good teams, like they beat, um, or they've played some good games against some good teams. While they fell to Duke, they fell to Auburn. Obviously, those teams are pretty good. But I think this is a team that can make a sneaky run. Uh, you know, John Calipari's been there before. He's been through this whole rodeo uh, more than once. So I think this is uh, the team that he has right now is a good team to do it, or at least make a deep run if they not if they don't win. What was it like seeing Chibwe in person? Because he looks imposing on TV. Now he's not. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal kind of just naturally big guy but he's got the Rodman gene in him where he's just constantly getting rebounds finding a way to get rebounds and wreaking havoc inside is he as advertised in person as he is on television yes he really is and I'm going to use a quote from head coach Andy Toole of RMU what he said about him after the game he said you know I mean obviously we're trying to we're trying to get him out of there but for the entire possession he doesn't leave the paint and when you don't leave the paint for the entire possession, you're going to get a lot of rebounds. And when you're as a, a big body as he was, I mean, he was similar at West Virginia before he transferred over to Kentucky. Um, and then in person, you know, he's just a massive human being, an absolute unit, I might add. Um, you know, I talk, we spoke to him after the game, and he was just saying, you know, I was telling Coach before the season, you know, I'm not here to score as many points as you want me to. I'd love to rebound, and, you know, the points will come if I rebound, and, that's exactly what he's been doing all year long, leading scorer and far and away the leading rebounder on the roster. Is there any um, – some? do you think there's someone on Kentucky that you feel is underrated, not getting necessarily as much attention that you think could really shine and help the Wildcats uh, get a big run going in the tournament? Yeah, I have to pull up how many he had against RMU, but I'm going to go with Kellen Grady. Uh, Kellen Grady, you know, has been, you know, pretty – he's fallen under the radar a little bit this year. He's still one of the leading scorers – one of the top, I believe, four scorers on the roster. Uh, he put up, hold on, I'm trying to trying to find it here. He put up 19 against RMU. And this season he's averaging, I believe it's around 10 points. You know, a guy that went to Davidson before. And then his skills have sort of transitioned over to Kentucky in the SEC. Um, I just think that this player, I mean, Kellen Grady has been pretty impressive to me all season, averaging 11.9 points. Uh, he dropped, you know, 11 against Florida the last game. He had 25 couple games ago against Alabama. He's a guy that definitely they need to have going and going in all cylinders if they want to continue to move on in the tournament. Like like you said, make a deep run. Yeah, no doubt. And I think an issue for Kentucky these last couple of years, especially last year when they missed the tournament altogether, was uh, experience. I just think that lack of experience. And Duke, too, last year, um, they just didn't have guys who have been there, done that. And I've talked with a few, with a few of these segments, basically all of these segments about um, how valuable experience is in March Madness. I mean, year after year, we see these teams like I've mentioned Loyola Chicago maybe 11 times already. I'm not, I'm not even halfway through this series. But it's every year 
they know the system, they've done it for several years, and you see teams like, uh, I've mentioned 2019 Duke already, like Zion and RJ and Cam, like, they're cool, but they lost to an experienced Michigan State team, led by Cassius Winston, who had been there, done that. Do you think experience is going to be an issue for this Kentucky team? Because I think it's a lot less considering that Sheboy's been playing a lot of college basketball. And even though Ty Ty Washington's only a freshman, uh, he doesn't really play like a freshman. I don't know. What do you think about um, experience pertaining to Kentucky this year? It's definitely a younger roster. Um, I do think there are guys on the team, obviously, that have been there before. But I think you won't see the experience really show until they get to that later part of the tournament when they're playing some of these better teams. Obviously, being a blue blood, you're going to play some really good teams, especially in the SEC. you got Auburn in there. you got a good team of solid teams like Alabama, Tennessee, South Carolina, all in that conference. So I think you know the guys getting acclimated to the SEC definitely helps. But then once you get past the teams in the first round, like the, the high seeds you're going to face, um, I think that's where it's going to show, and I think that's what will be ultimately their demise if they do end up losing. But I think, you know, John Calipari, like I said before, he's the most experienced guy on there. He knows how to get the best out of his players, and he knows how to keep the, keep the I guess, the train rolling in this scenario. So the experience probably won't show until they get against some good teams, like if they play any of the ones that are ranked in the top 25 ahead of them. Do you have any matchups that you were really worried about? Like if Kentucky faces Team X, um, are you just are you particularly worried? Because I think there are a few in this tournament where I would be a little worried. Yeah, and you know it's it goes down to some of their conference teams. They just haven't looked good against. Um, if they face off against Auburn, I don't think that they're going to do too well. I don't know when that would ever happen if they do face off against Auburn. Um, Arizona, like I said, Arizona is a pretty good team, and I think you know obviously if they run into any of these teams, but. The last time they played Tennessee, if Tennessee gets anywhere into the tournament, gets any further into the tournament than uh, Kentucky, uh, they lost by 13, and that was one of their biggest losses all season long. But also the Auburn game, they lost by nine. I think once you face teams like that, that's where Kentucky, you, you, you see them fall out of the tournament and maybe lose to a team they shouldn't or to a team that is just ultimately better than them. Yeah, I think they're one of the teams that are, they do seem a little bit vulnerable because they showed it before. They've shown this yeah. season that, you can beat them. Um, just unrelated to Kentucky, because you've already given a great case. Uh, have you been up late watching uh, the SoCon championships and all I the not, other? But I did. All I the did other catch the end. ancillary catch conference the, championships. Yeah, I did catch the end of the uh, the Furman Chattanooga game. That was that was pretty pretty impressive. Um, and then, you know, I've just been I've been tuning in here and there to a couple ones. I, I watched Delaware beat Towson the other night. Um, you know, because I live in Delaware. Um, I saw the Horizon League semifinals last night because, you know, obviously RMU being in the Horizon League, got to pay attention to that. Wright State, ridiculous, uh, ran away with that one against the team that RMU lost to in Cleveland State, uh, the the defending champions. So, you know, I've seen here and there some, and then just by scrolling on Twitter, I've seen a bunch of the games, you know, how they've gone, but definitely tuned into that Chattanooga game last night. Do you think either Wright State or Northern Kentucky can make any kind of noise in the NCAA tournament? Because you are a Horizon League guy. You've been following all these teams all year long. Is there any shot for them to do anything of note in the tournament? So, if I mean, RMU actually beat Northern Kentucky earlier in the year, if you can believe that. Um, But it was in Moon Township. Uh, Wright State, they lost by one and then got smoked by them on the road. So, I think Wright State definitely is more likely. But if you get... uh, so So, the best player on... Northern Kentucky, by far, is Marquez Warwick. I mean, he's a beast. He dropped 30 points against RMU at the BB&T Arena. 
a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, the way that the Northern Kentucky lives and dies is by Marquez Ward and by Trayvon Faulkner. And the way RMU won that first game is they knocked Trayvon Faulkner out with foul trouble in the first quarter. So if you got to get one of those guys neutralized, I think Wright State definitely has a bigger chance because they got Grant Basili and Tanner Holden, who might be one of the best, you know, the most underrated duo in the country. Uh, Grant Basili, I mean, as John Rothstein said the other day, you should have bought stock a long time ago. Um, he's a good player. I've watched him, you know, just torch RMU both times he's played them. And then Tanner Holden is as good as it gets when you get inside the paint. A small guy, but he makes the most of his frame and gets in there and scores. All right, well, that was some pretty good Horizon League analysis. You're honestly the only person I probably could have come to for that. And, yeah, I mean, uh, I've seen all the teams this year. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I'm glad I can now understand that John Rothstein reference. I uh, I remember last summer Ben would constantly be joking about the Rothstein reactions <laughs> and uh, just everything John Rothstein. I didn't understand it because I didn't have Twitter then. But uh, <laughs> thankfully I started following him this year, and it's it's been a lot of fun because you need a guy like John Rothstein in your life, especially oh, if you're following absolutely. college basketball. Yeah, Um absolutely. Tyler, you got anything you want to plug? Uh, I know you're covering, I know you're still covering RMU sports. Um, anything you want to plug? Yeah, so, I mean, if you care anything about Robert Morris Athletics, you want to follow Colonial Sports Network on Twitter, uh, RMU underscore CSN. If you, I mean, I sometimes am funny on Twitter.com, so if you want to follow me, it's at Tyler A. Gallo. And then, yeah, I mean, RMU's not in it, but, you know, they did upset Youngstown State in the first round of the Rising Tournament, which was at least good enough to go off of. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you ever have any questions about RMU or Robert Morris Athletics, I'm your I'm your guy to ask because I've lived and died these athletics teams over the past four years. So um, yeah, definitely uh, give me a follow, give me a shout if you have any questions, and I'm happy that I could state a case for a team that RMU got absolutely destroyed by um, because I I definitely have enjoyed following along Kentucky ever since that game because they're they're a good team. Yeah, thank you, Tyler. This was a lot of fun, man. Happy March Madness. Yeah, happy March Madness, Quentin. I enjoyed it. All right, Mateo Gutierrez is here, former writer, editor for the Black and White, Whitman grad. Uh, he is currently at the University of Southern California. Mateo, how are you, man? Oh, I'm doing great, Quentin. I'm doing great. Happy, happy to be here. Happy to be here. That's uh, that's good to hear. So uh, I'm not gonna dilly dally. Not gonna waste any more time, Mateo. Give me the case for the USC Trojans to win the national championship. Alright, well I'll tell you this right now USC is not, is not on a lot of people's radars You know, We've been ranked the whole year But everyone's like, oh, they're in the Pac-12 They don't play tough opponents you know, And like, they've had a couple of bad losses Which is very true, very true You know, After losing to Evan Mobley, it's been tough You know, It's been very tough But I will say this, people are sleeping on the USC Trojans right? They're sleeping big time right? First of all, as you can see Any team can lose in March Madness right? So honestly, any team can possibly win you know because you know it's people like there was one game what well, one day when like the first top, top six seeds lost and all that stuff like anything can happen but for usc though we're we're well bound we have vets we have players who've played on you know college basketball for years now we got isaiah mobley you know he is all pac 12 first team got the same genes as evan mobley and evan mobley is you know they're, no they're brothers so he's about to be rookie of the year Isaiah's about to fall up in his footsteps. He's nice with it. You know, he could rebound. He can shoot kind of well. He's a bit slow, but a good defender. But my personal favorite UC Trojan is a guy named Drew Peterson, 
who is also all Pac-12 first team. He can shoot lights out. He's, he dropped 26 against UCLA, had like four blocks and we, when we beat them. Um, and, you know, everyone was saying UCLA was a title contender and we beat them. I mean, we lost last time, but we did beat them uh, like last month or a couple weeks ago. But overall, we're, we're a tough team. I'll say that, you know, here here in South Central, I feel like the kids, the, the guys on our team, they're tough, right? They'll die for loose balls. They'll hustle. Like, they have grit. And, you know, last year we made it to the Elite Eight and we fell short. And, you know, this year the, it's basically the same team other than a couple players missing. And they're hungry, man. They're hungry. You know, I, I, I've seen some of the players at, like, a social events, and I can tell, like, they're determined. You know, like, they, they don't like to have fun. They like to, they have to win games. All right? And I think I think that's going to be what takes them over the edge in terms of other uh, other teams out there. Like, they're not, they're not here for March Madness to have fun and play basketball with friends. Like, they're here to win games and, and, and win a chip and bring to bring home the USC. So I guess uh, that's my case for uh, the USC Trojans on why they're going to – Host that trophy come April or March, well, end of, well, technically April, but you know. Yeah, I know what you mean. And I think the grit and toughness factor definitely plays a role because we see with teams that succeed in March Madness, grit and toughness is definitely one. And uh, from, from your case, it definitely seems like the USC Trojans are very gritty, very tough. You've watched them. They die for loose balls. And I think the personal aspect, like, you've, you, again, you've seen them outside of basketball, the way they handle themselves – their demeanor, I think that's something like that is why I have contacted you because you have a different insider perspective than a lot of college basketball fans out there. Like you've interacted with these guys off the court, you know who they are, and you can foresee success based on those interactions. Is that is that correct? Is, is that is that true? Yes, yes, I will say that is very true. Because I, I will say, I will say, other than the fact that you know USC basketball players are much taller, but most of them are most much taller than everyone else. Like. But just last weekend, I saw two of them at, like, a sorority invite. And, you know, they were tall. They stood out. But what stood out to them, what stood out for me, at least, was their professionalism, you know. They they walked with class. They treated everyone respectfully. But at the same time, you know, they showed they showed that they were they were serious. They were very serious. I could tell basketball was on their mind because I know the next day they had a UCLA. And that was a tough game. We lost. They went wrong. Maybe it was because he stood up too late. That could be it. That could be it. But uh, I will say, uh, come March, like we do not play games. And the, come tournament time, I like if the, if these guys are serious in the last game of the season before a Pac-12 tour- tourney, then they're going to be even more serious come uh, when it matters. You know. So uh, I'm I'm feeling very hopeful for my USC Trojans. I have, I have a really good feeling about the this tourney. Does US do USC students do they care more? about USC basketball than the general public may think? Um, I think yes. So I will say, like, there's a big difference in USC football and basketball, of course, because, you know, everyone loves going to see football games and everyone goes to football games. Like, everyone goes and, like, it's just, like, especially, like, all hype and history on USC football, like, everyone loves it. But something that gets overlooked a lot is definitely USC basketball. We have still some type of tradition here. You know, we have, like, very successful NBA players, like, Tamar DeRozan, you know, now you have Evan Mobley. Um, and, you know, we haven't always been, like, that top team. We always we, we haven't really been that top team. But I think last March, Madison went to Elite Eight, gave us, a, like, gave a lot of USC fans, like, a lot of hope, I guess, for USC basketball and got everyone super electric and, like, got everyone, like, pumped up. And they couldn't wait for next season to come because we knew a lot of people were coming back other than Evan 
Mobley, of course. But, uh, you know, I will say that a lot more people go go to games than people think. Um, a lot of people do still love UC basketball a lot. And um, I think, in turn, like, as, as, our, as our team is in terms of our fan base, we're underrated. You know, people don't see us as a basketball school. It's just a football school. They don't think we got a good basketball program or a good basketball fan base. But they'll be surprised when March comes. They'll be surprised when tourney comes around. They'll be they'll be surprised. You know, like all I'm saying. My advice to anyone anyone out there is to just, uh, um, just don't sleep, don't sleep, and don't be surprised. All right, your message has been heard. One final thing before I let you go. In the time you've been in Los Angeles, have you seen a single Clipper jersey? Have I seen a Clipper? It's funny you say that because actually in my fraternity there are a. There's a semi-large group of Clippers fans. Wow! Whoa! I know. It's surprising. It's, I was very surprised, too. I figured everyone here is Lakers fans. And freshman year is kind of when I kind of like learned that. But, sorry, second, first semester freshman year, that's what I thought. But second semester freshman year, found out that there's a lot more Clippers fans out there. And, 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 and they surprise you. They surprise you. Um, you know, here in L.A., the Lakers are a huge thing. Like, Lakers fans are very passionate about the Lakers and you can't ever talk bad about the Lakers in front of Lakers fans or they will they will get upset, like really mad and like they're very passionate about their team. Clippers fans on the other hand, they they're not as passionate about their team. There's they're just like normal NBA fans. But they do love to, you know, chirp, talk trash, and whenever the Lakers are doing bad, they'd love to seize an opportunity. Um that being said, uh, I personally do lean more with the Lakers and the Clippers, even though at the end of the day I'll, I'll always still be a diehard Wizards fan. All right. Well, that's interesting that there is, in fact, an, an existing contingent of Clipper fans on the USC campus. That's interesting. I did not expect that. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, Mateo, this was you gave a pretty solid case for what is probably going to be a six or seven, six, five, six, seven seed. Um, mm. Good job, man. Kudos to you. So um, of course, of course. you uh, you enjoy the rest of your night and uh, I guess uh, fight on. Thank you, Quentin. Thank you so much for, for having me on it. And you too, man. Have a great rest of your night and have a great, have a great week. Hope the podcast turns out great. All right, Guy Mayo is here. Guy follows Duke basketball pretty religiously. I've known that for a very long time. Um, Guy, I'm not going to waste any time. Why are the Duke Blue Devils going to win the national championship? Thank you. Um, like you said, I've been following Duke as long as I can remember. I've been through the ups and downs, the losses to Mercer and Lehigh, and the national championship 2015-2010. And this season, the reason I like this team so much is because of the depth and the size. I think we have a very solid eight-man rotation. We can even we can go as deep as Joey Baker in the bench, who can come out, knock down a few threes, move the ball, as well as Theo John, who's a great backup center. And another thing is, one through six, every single guy on the team can go out and get a bucket. We've obviously got Paolo. He's been the most in the spotlight. Obviously, he's in contention for the number one pick in the draft next year. He's got great size, can do it on all three levels in the post, in the mid-range and from three. We've got A.J. Griffin, who's really come into his own recently. He's had some huge games lighting up from three. He's like a 50% three-point shooter, at, I think, right now. And then Trevor Keels, big body. He can get in the paint. 
Knocked down threes on the outside as well. Wendell Moore runs the offense, control, doesn't turn the ball over. He had a triple-double over this season, which is really impressive for college. And then Mark Williams pounding the glass, swatting people in the paint, protecting the rim, and getting alley-oops on the other end. And even Jeremy Roach coming in off the bench, he's really improved throughout the season. His assist-turnover ratio has really gone down. He's really come into the role as a starting point guard, potentially. And so any of those six guys really go down and get a bucket. So when it comes to March Madness and you've got these matchups, maybe one guy gets locked down, maybe Paolo's having a bad game, maybe AJ's going to pick up the slack or Mark's going to pick up the slack. just feels like we have a really solid, deep team that could go pretty far and won't really be shut down by any team. And even on the defensive end, recently we have not had some great defensive performances, disappointing loss to Carolina last Saturday. But we saw earlier in the season and a few of the games late season, like against Syracuse, that they can really lock up on the defensive end if they put in the effort. We know Mark, he's ACC Defensive Player of the Year this year. And um, he's he averages like three, three and change blocks per game. But then even Paolo can move his feet, stick with a guard or a big man. Wendell, he's one of the best perimeter defenders, I'd say, in the NCAA. And then Roach and Keels, both super physical inside. It just, when you look at the team as a whole, very complete all-around team, can score, can defend, can rebound. I mean, I know there's the advanced statistics, the Ken Palm, the defensive efficiency ratings. And I think there's some stat where it's like the last 10 or so, or I'm not quite sure, National champions have been in the top, let's say, 20% offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency. And Duke is either in that or right on the cusp of that. And I don't know, it has a similar feel to that 2015 team where we have a lot of guys who get a bucket. Then it was Okafor in the paint, Tyus Jones on the outside, Justice Winslow, and then some role guys like Matt Jones, Quinn Cook, who could always get a bucket. And we have some... Leadership, we have Wendell, who's a junior, Mark, sophomore, Roach, sophomore. So it's not all freshmen like it seems to usually be for Duke when they go out early. But, yeah, that's really my case. I'm really looking forward to it. I want to see some good games. I do have one question about the experience because even though you have a bunch of sophomores on your team, Duke didn't make the tournament last year. And I think we have seen in a few games this year – namely Carolina on Saturday. Um, experience was not um, – the, the lack of experience for Duke, I feel, in big games like that. Like, I know that was an outlier of a big game because it was obviously Coach K's last game. You had 90-plus Duke alum watching. You had the high school gym that is Cameron Indoor Stadium sold out, filled to the brim. Um but I don't know, does the lack of experience, I mean, it makes me nervous, but you, you don't sound as nervous unless I just changed your mind in the last 30 seconds. Yeah, I mean, that definitely has been a problem. It feels like in a few of our losses, maybe Virginia, Carolina recently, there was, there's a period during the game where it feels like Duke's going to run away with it and dominate in the Carolina game. It was like a stretch of 10 minutes before the half ended or before 
three minutes left in the first half where they went on a huge run and it felt like the game was over. But after that, it felt like the level of play, level of intensity dropped back and we kind of played down to the competition, got too comfortable, which I think was a common theme sort of throughout the season. We let games get a little bit too close. We almost lost the game to Wake Forest. We were up like 17 with like eight minutes left and it ended up being like a three-point game or something like that. Yeah, I mean, that definitely does play into it, but we did have huge games early in the season, a big win over Kentucky in the very first game, and massive game against Gonzaga where it was like sold out 20-something thousand fans in Las Vegas. So the guys know how to play on a big stage, and they know how to win big games. It's just about executing and not getting caught up in some of the outside stuff like Coach K's farewell tour thinking about this as the last dance or feeling pressure. I don't want them, and I hope Coach K doesn't want them feeling like the pressure of his last year, like they need to win a championship. That's just not healthy for a young team, and I feel like that puts too much weight on their shoulders. If they play loose uh, with energy, play intense on defense, I feel like they can really lock in and beat anyone in the country. So, great case. One thing before we get out of here, just looking ahead to the draft, Paolo's going to be a top five pick at the very least. Which one of A.J. Griffin, Mark Williams, and Trevor Keels are you the highest on in terms of success in the NBA? Yeah, so I think a lot of draft boards even have A.J. going top five. I'm also pretty high on him. I think he's got a lot of potential. He's knocked down three-point shooter. He can get into the lane and has potential to become a great defender. Um, he does. He's, he's an interesting player to watch because he does – there was an article talked about him. He does everything off of, like, two feet. Like, you never see him going up off of one. So he looks almost like he's very, like, patient and slow on the court. But he, he really gets buckets, and I think he's got a lot of potential. But then I think Mark Williams is super underrated. If he fills out his frame a little bit more in the NBA, gets a little bit bigger, I think he could easily be like a Clint Capella in the NBA, catching lobs from a guy like Trey Young, getting blocks, playing great defense. Um, but, yeah, other than I think A.J. is definitely second. I think a lot of the draft boards see that. Then I would almost put Mark third. I know Keels, he's already built for the NBA. He's like, they like to talk about he's built like an NFL linebacker, but sometimes he definitely has to improve his maturity with shot taking and maybe his playmaking ability, being able to kick it out when he goes for drives, something I've noticed. And I think Mark altogether doesn't try to do too much. He knows he doesn't he doesn't have a crazy paint move arsenal just because he's not necessarily that big. Maybe feels like he can't get into the defender, but he does well with what he what he does have, he always runs the court. It's like some 60% of his points or maybe even 80% are dunks, alley-oops, something like that. And he just he gets massive blocks on the other end. Um, and even Wendell, I mean, I've seen early in the season, some draft boards had our whole starting lineup one through five going in the first round. I don't know if that's the case anymore. But even Wendell, he's... His improvement now from the first two seasons has been really like something great to watch. He's definitely turned the ball over way less. He's become way more of a playmaker, rebounder. 
I think he would actually be a great asset to any NBA team with his physicality, ability to get in the lane and finish. But yeah, that's that's probably how I'd rank them. Probably Paolo, AJ, Mark, Trevor, and then Wendell. I would really like Mark Williams on Utah just because I think if Donovan Mitchell can get a consistent lob threat at the five along with Rudy Gobert and a guy that can defend on the perimeter, which Mark is pretty good at doing, I would say, just because he's so, not only is he so long, he's so athletic. But um, yeah, that'll be it for the Duke segment. Uh, any final words on the Blue Devils? Um, well, I'm just looking forward to watch them in, Mar in March Madness and... I think they really have what it takes to beat anyone. That's all I have to say. Who's your favorite 12 to 15 seed in this year's tournament? South Dakota State, baby. Go Jackrabbits. <laughs> Roll Jackrabbits, baby. All right, John LaFrance is here. He is a current student at Seton Hall University. He is in uh, our... Fantasy foot, one of my fantasy football leagues. That is how I got to know him. He is one of four brothers, I believe. Correct? Three, close enough. Oh, Scott, dude, I lose track sometimes. So, so that is my bad. Uh, but John, I'm gonna get right to it. You go to Seton Hall. You watch a lot of Seton Hall basketball. They're gonna be in the tournament this year. They're gonna be around a seven, eight, or nine seed. Give me the case for Seton Hall to win the national championship. Sure. So. Yeah, as you said, I've been to a lot of Seton Hall games. Uh, I follow the basketball team closely for the last three years I've been at the school. And uh, I believe this is one of our strongest teams that we've had in, in, a, in a few years. Obviously, our 2020 team with Miles Powell was probably our best one in quite some time, but we didn't get to see that uh, follow, through with, follow through with the tournament. But uh, this team is really strong. You know, we've got some great quad one wins, especially in our uh, pre-out-of-conference pre, uh, schedule, uh, like our win against Michigan back when they were good, uh, and against Texas. Um, against Rutgers, that was a great win. And um, I think that the team has a lot of strengths. Uh, I think a lot of it comes down to our defense. Uh, our defense has uh, been really great. Uh, there was a period of time where we lost some guys um, like Ike Biagu and Tyree Samuel to COVID protocols around uh, January where our defense kind of slipped a little bit. But when we've got those two guys on the court, um, you're not getting to the remedy with us. You're not scoring the paint. Uh, Ike averages, I think, three and a half blocks. Uh, Big East leader in blocks the last two years, I, I think. Um, uh, he's, he's just been great. And so I think our, our defense and our size is a huge portion of it. Um, we've got Ike starting along with um, Trey Jackson, who's been huge for us this year. This is the first year he's getting real big minutes. Um, and then we've got uh, Alexis Yetna, the uh, graduate transfer. Uh, we got him coming off the bench with Samuel. And it, uh, all guys 6'10 and above. So it just it makes for a great front line. Uh, and really great uh, interior defense. Uh, I think our uh, our wing play is also really strong with uh, guys like Miles Kale and Jared Roden, who are veterans who have been here before. Uh, they were on our 2020 team, so they've played in the big lights and the big stage. Um, it'll be really interesting to see how this Big East tournament goes uh, starting tonight at 9.30 against Georgetown. Uh, should be an easy win, but uh, we played them pretty close the last time, so we'll see. Um but I definitely think that our bigs and our inside game with our defense is a huge part of it. Along with the wing play, uh, Roden and Kale can really get to their own spots, create their own shots when the offense isn't looking as good as it usually is. Their mid-range games are both really killer. Um, so I really like our chances uh, in terms of those two. I really wish that Bryce Aiken 
uh, was not injured because he our, our guard play would have been great as well with him and Kadari Richmond as our two point guards. So it's unfortunate that we lost Aiken, probably they say for the season with the, the concussion injury. Um, so it's unfortunate that we don't have Aiken, but I, I think that we still got a great chance with the team that we're able to put out on the court. No, that's a really strong case. And you mentioned specific players. You mentioned experience. Yes, that Miles Powell Seton Hall team was very, very good. Um, you've also had stretches with the Isaiah Whitehead years a few years prior, so that was fun. Yes. Um, who else, diverting a little bit from Seton Hall just in general to the Big East, do you think – I feel like people are sleeping on Villanova. Do you think yeah. – I, I feel like that's just like – I feel like you, we, we, um, the general college basketball public kind of gloss over them. I don't know if it's fatigue – from them just constantly being in the Elite Eight, the Final Four. I don't know if it's that or some other external factor. Um, do you think Villanova's flying under the radar? I do. Um, you know, they we always played them really close. Uh, they're one of our biggest rivals. Um, and just they, they just play with so much commitment, so much heart, and they play the game the right way. They're very fundamental in the way that they play. And it seems like every year their three-point shooting is just off the charts. I mean, they, they've got such great shooters. Uh, Gillespie is an amazing player. Uh, I think he's going to be an NBA player. A lot of people don't believe that, but uh, I, I can see him going in the second round. Um, so they've, they've just got a really strong foundation there. Like us, they've got veterans. They've got experience. Uh, they've got one of the best college coaches of all time, um, Jay Wright. And I know that they, they know what it takes to win. They've won two national championships in the last uh, six or seven years. Um, and so I think that when it, when it comes down to tournament play, and you look at the stars that Villanova has, uh, I think that definitely bodes well for them. Oh, no doubt. And uh, one more team I do want to get to before we, I'll let you go. Do you think this is the year Providence can finally – do you think this is the year Providence can make the deepest run they've ever made, at least to my knowledge, within the last few decades? Because, I don't know, watching them this year, I mean, 24-4, 14-3 in the conference, uh, I believe that that's the one – they have the one seed, Correct. In the Big East tournament? They do, yeah. Yeah, they've been outstanding this year. Um, and they, they also, they really play as a committee. Uh, like, they, they, they don't really have one standout player. I don't know if they even had a player make first team all Big East. I could be wrong about that. But I think they had a few guys on second team. Uh, but they, they, they sort of do it all together. And um, their their defense is also are really great. And they, they literally like to hustle and get out there and play hard, play fast. Um, Ed Cooley's done a great job coaching that team. Uh, I definitely think that this is their best chance in a while to be uh, to make that to make that run to maybe we could see them in Sweet 16 and our Elite Eight and you know sort of sort of getting that deep into it. Um, you know, when it comes to the tournament, I like to usually say that the teams with uh, star players usually do a little bit better. Uh, of course, that's not always the case, but um, I think that one that one aspect may hold Providence back a little bit. Uh, I don't know though because they just they just play so well together. Um, that I could I could see them doing really well, but uh, I mean, and for my prediction, I would say I think that they're going to win the Big East tournament. Uh, uh, so that'll probably put them at maybe a, a three seed, uh, maybe a two seed, maybe four, uh, but in that range. And I think that that would uh, be pretty good for them. And uh, I could definitely see them going f- further than they have in the last probably twenty years. Yeah, I think them not being over reliant on one or two guys is extremely valuable. Um, I mean, yeah, having a superstar is cool, but we've seen on, I feel like, a lot of teams, like, even a team, like, I was watching Furman Chattanooga the other night, and they, uh, Furman was relying, now, Mike Bothwell was awesome down the stretch for Furman, but at the same time, 
it, it's a lot easier to guard when you know everybody else but one or two guys isn't a threat at all. So I think with Providence, I mean, yeah, they play extremely well as a team. They're not over-reliant on one or two guys. And um, they're 22, 24-4 is 24 in sport. 24-4, and 14-3 in the Big East, especially in the conference with Villanova, UConn, Creighton, Seton Hall, Marquette, Xavier. Like, all those teams are going to be in the tournament. So I don't know. I've been very impressed with Providence. But, um, John, any final words, final thoughts on the Seton Hall Pirates and their prospects heading into the tournament? Uh, I just want to tell people that I think that, in general, the public is sleeping on the Pirates. Uh, I know that we got some attention early on with those big wins, and, you know, COVID really put a, a damper in the middle of our season that where we kind of fell off, but we won our last five games. we got a lot of momentum going to the Big East tournament, so we'll see how, you know, what we can get done in the Big East tournament, but I really believe in this team. I, I know it's going to be hard if we're an eight or nine to kind of get past that, excuse me, that second round, uh, you know, playing a one seed like Auburn or something in the second round would probably not be ideal. But, um, you know, if we can get, you know, maybe up to that seventh spot, uh, I think, you know, this, the seven ten game, a lot of times that those those teams go on some pretty pretty cool runs. I mean, we saw UConn a couple of years ago win the championship as a seven seed, uh, which was awesome. So, uh, the, you know, that path is a little bit different than the eight nine path. Uh, so, I, I know I believe in Seton Hall. Uh, I think that they've got a great group of guys, a great group of veterans. I didn't mention earlier, but Kevin Willard has been awesome coaching this team. Uh, and, you know, I get him in a, he's, he deserves a lot of praise for our last couple games, you know, in terms of the X's and O's and the stuff that he's been able to do against other really great coaches in the Big East. Um, so, yeah, final thoughts are just I, I definitely believe in Seton Hall. I think that we've got a lot of potential to make a pretty interesting run, and I hope everybody tunes in. All right, well, John LaFrance, thank you for your time. It was a pleasure. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for having me. All right, Preston Durand is here. Good family friend of mine. He uh, is live from uh, the greater Southern California area. Preston, he does follow Alabama basketball, uh, I believe, enough to be able to talk about it for a few minutes. But um, I'm going to get straight to it. Preston, you have the floor. Give me the case for Alabama to win the national championship. Well, first off, thank you for having me on. Um, Alabama basketball has been up and down all year. Uh, They started the year pretty hot. I think they're top 15 ranking to start the year. Um, Beat Gonzaga when they were number one. Beat Houston on a buzzer beater. Uh, But they've been up and down all year fighting for a top 25 spot but to win the national championship they're going to need to trust their trust their um trust their point guard Jaden Shackelford pretty sure he's a pretty sure he's a senior need to trust him and they're going to need their fault their shots to fall they're heavy three-point shooting team um that's how they beat really they beat Gonzaga Baylor and Houston early in the year they their shots fell so they need to trust James Shackelford with the ball, trust their freshman all-conference, uh, J.D. Davidson. Um, Nate Oates, coach, is going to have to lead a good lead a good few games, and they're going to need to make a run. Of course, uh, starting in the SEC tournament, they're going to need to uh, um, gain some momentum. I think they're, they're going to need to make a semi or a final, uh, probably either beat Kentucky or Auburn, who they're 0-4 against combined this year. They're, they're just going to need – they're a team of momentum, so they need to 
get it going early and keep it going throughout the tournament. Um, they need to. They also still need to be a top five seed, in my opinion. I can't see them being a lower seed and making a run, but yeah, I think it's just trusting their team, trusting their coach, and having those three point shots fall, or else they're in some trouble and they're going to be an early exit, which is sad to say, on my part at least. Yeah, um, I think with Alabama, first of all, they're a team that um, they're a team for people that just want to feel something that have this that have this void inside of them that just wants to experience the uppermost highs and the the lowest of lows. Because God, this team is it, it, this is probably the highest variance team in the tournament. I mean, when you talk about momentum, yes, I think Alabama. I think they're either making the final four or losing in the first round. Um, I really don't believe there's an in-between. And, yeah, they are a team of momentum. When they've looked good, they've taken down Gonzaga and Houston. And when they haven't looked good, they've they've lost to, uh, like, mid-tier SEC teams. Um, what about Javon Quinterly, real quick? Have, what have you thought of him throughout the year? Because I think he kind of embodies Alabama. He's also been very up and down. Um, but what are your personal thoughts on Quinterly, the Villanova transfer? I- yeah, and Quinterly, he's just a playmaker. I think I, I really haven't had that much of a chance to watch him this year, but he's just a playmaker. I know he took over a little bit last year when they made their run in the in the tournament, and yeah, they're going to need to trust him and Shackelford together. The, those two together, I just think they need to work together, and as a team, they just need to need to have that momentum and that brotherhood going. Yeah, and again, it shows just about uh, staying consistent with it, and. Um... Look, if they get hot in March Madness again, I think it's Final Four or first round exit. No in between. But um, nevertheless, they're fun to watch when they're on, and they're the furthest thing from fun to watch when they're off. Um, I think it's just about keeping that switch on throughout the tournament. But yeah, what you said. I think uh, I think they do have the ability to make a run, especially again, if their shots fall. They are big on their shots falling. So um, I don't know. I'm excited to see. It's a very exciting team. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. They're either first-round exit or Final Four. So. <laughs> um, all right, well, that was very quick, but uh, I think we hit all the points. So, Preston, uh, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I hope uh, for an exciting Alabama run because, again, when they're, uh, when they're hitting their shots, it's, it's a lot of fun, I got to say. Yes, they're definitely a team that everyone's looking forward to seeing in the in March Madness, and we'll see what happens. All right, thanks again, Preston. No problem. Thank you. All right, Mark Kniff, resident Villanova fan, is here. Mark, I'm not going to waste any time. You've been excited to, to come on this podcast, so I will not waste any more time. Mark, why are the Villanova Wildcats going to win the national championship? Well, you know, first off, if Villanova can stay in close games, you know, they have the best free throw shooting percentage, I think, in Division One history, in history as a team. It's at 82% about, and just now they came back from, I think it was a 20-point deficit in their first Big East game, and they end up winning, uh, beating St. John's by one point. So I think that's a testament to their toughness. Is that all you have to say? Yeah, I mean, that's why we're going to win, I think. Uh Gillespie, what do you like about him? Okay, Gillespie, he's the most complete basketball player in the NCAA. I mean, what what does the guy not do? He can drive, he can dish, he can shoot threes, and mainly 
his best his best uh, just aspect about him is that he's a leader on the court. You know, I think Villanova has a few, a couple of super seniors um, that I think are going to lead them through the national, uh, through the tournament. And I think that's very important to have experience. You know, they've been there, they've done it, and they've won national championships. So I think that that's going to be important. You got any concerns regarding Villanova heading into the tournament? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Uh, before the last game, one of our players, one of our starters had back spasms, and then he miraculously, you know, played a little bit. Um, and then another player did not play. He played five minutes because he was throwing up half the, half of the game. So I guess concerns there. And Villanova has struggled down the stretch of games occasionally, and they have racked up more losses than I would have liked throughout the season. But I think that those games are going to make them tougher and make them win. All right, well, I think you give a pretty good case. And uh, I don't know. I think Villanova, again, been there, done that, good from the line, can't foul them late. And uh, close games they win. And there's just an overall, all-around solid basketball team. So uh, any final words on Villanova before we get out of here? Um, no final words, but I would like to say something. I think Duke is probably the worst college basketball team, worst organization ever. Um, Why do you say that? Coach K, I mean <sighs> – I do not like the guy. He's just he's an evil, evil man. I mean, Jay Wright is clearly a better coach. Um, he may not have as many wins, but the way he wins is better than the way Coach K wins. You know, I, he doesn't pay he pay the refs off like Coach K does. And I think that Duke, I think they're going to make it deep in the tournament, not because they're a better team, but because they have the refs and people on their side because it's, you know, it fits the narrative of uh, – Duke winning on Coach K's last season. All right, Mark, your opinion is greatly appreciated, greatly valued. Thanks for hopping on, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right, Rachel Pakofsky, good friend of mine, is here. She is an Indiana University alum. She follows the basketball team in great depth, and she is here to state the case for the Hoosiers to win the national championship. Now, I'm glad, Rachel, that we w- I waited a day to do this to see if they did beat Illinois, which they did, and um, I think they should be safely in. Now, they're probably going to be an 11 or 12 seed, so them winning the national championship might be a little far-fetched, but again, it's March, especially this year. Been a ton of parity. Anything can happen. Rachel, give me the case for the Indiana Hoosiers. To win the national championship okay well first i just have to say go hoosiers after that big win yesterday but my first and number one reason why i think we're gonna make some noise in the tournament is because the bob knight curse is over he's back in assembly hall and we haven't had that in years so we have him on our side now second mike woodson is back in assembly hall and he's our coach and he was on the team so he knows the indiana spirit better than anyone and i think the last reason is if you watch the t- past two games against michigan and illinois those boys men whichever you want to call them on the court have more heart than any other team out there um and it's been a long time since we've hung a banner so i think we're a little bit tired all of us iu fans so they're gonna bring it home for us so First of all, when I saw Mike Woodson originally got hired to be the Indiana coach as a Knicks fan who really enjoyed watching that early 2010s uh, little era of Knicks basketball with him as the coach, that was a lot of fun. And seeing him go back to his alma mater, that was also a lot of fun. I got to ask you about Trace Jackson Davis because he's obviously the star 
on the team. Um, what do you think of Trace Jackson Davis? How do you think he could be impactful um, in March? Well, I think he's just, if you watch him, he's an insane player. Um, I think he really just brings the confidence to the court, and he really is a leader. And, I mean, he just makes those big plays that we need to get over the hump. And so I think he's just going to be the biggest playmaker in all of the games going forward. Um, he's crazy good, and it's so great to watch someone um, on the court for Indiana like that again. Um, so, yeah, he's going to make those big plays, get us back in those close games like he's done the past few. But, no, he's really exciting to watch now. Do you think this team is better than the 2016 team, which was obviously the last team uh, from Indiana that did make March Madness? I mean, you had Yogi Ferrell, you had Thomas Bryant, you had a couple of future NBAers. Um, did, did you feel more confident about that team or this team? Because the reason I'm interested to hear your answer to this is because the 2016 team, they were a five seed. They were technically a lot, quote, better than this year's team. Um, which one... Have you felt more confident about? Were you feeling more confident heading into 2016? Or do you feel a little more confident in this year just because of that possible underdog mentality? Yeah, so 2016 is the year I got accepted to IU. So I'm so showing my age a little bit. <laughs> oh, wait, no, 2016. I was still in college. Oh, my gosh. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> I'm, I'm old over here. So 2016 was when I was in school there. So it was very exciting. Um, I do think this team has something special. I think it's Mike Woodson, his coaching, um, the bond he has with the team is insane. Um, so I actually, I'm more excited for this team. Um, I do think going forward, watching them in March, um, it's a whole different ball game than they were in the regular season. So I think I have a little more confidence, even though we're going to be a lower seed. I think they're coming ready to play. Oh, no, absolutely. <laughs> um, I got to say, is, is there somebody on Indiana that – you feel like isn't talked enough about by the general public? Obviously, we know about TJD. But um, mm -hmm. is there anybody on the team you could tell us about that you think is going to make some noise, that you think is going to have an impact for the Hoosiers in March that um, not a lot of people, at least in your opinion, are talking about? Yeah, well, I think he started to get talked about a little bit with this Big Ten tournament, but Xavier Johnson, he transferred from Pitt, and he's unbelievable um, on top of – Trace Jackson Davis, I think he's the one of the biggest playmakers, um, mostly against Michigan. He Trace had to sit out because he was kind of in foul trouble, and Xavier Johnson kind of carried this team. Um, so I think he's being talked about now, but during the regular season, he was a little bit quiet. Um, but also Race Thompson, he's another one that he makes those big plays, those assists, and I think both of them are key to help you know the big plays and make it us go. So I would definitely say Xavier Johnson. He's a transfer, so I think he, everyone was a little quiet about him. But I think um, we should start getting really excited because the way he's been playing the past two games has been incredible. Yeah, as a guy that watches a lot of ACC basketball, especially over these past few years, um, whenever I watch Pitt, which is basically going against Miami, um, <laughs> Xavier Johnson's been awesome. Like, literally every single game he has had an impact, whether Pitt wins or loses. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, he has definitely been huge for Indiana. Um, any final words – for the Hoosiers, do you have anything um, anything else you want to say? Anything else you want to put out in the world before Indiana plays in March Madness? Um, all I have to say is I started going there in 2013, and I've been waiting so long for this to happen again. We haven't been in the tournament in so long, so I need them to show up and get me a win, bring home a banner so I can celebrate. I've been waiting for this since I accepted that 
accepted my um for my college so i'm just ready for them to win and to celebrate <laughs> ah man you just you just missed the uh, oladipo zeller those years yeah. you just missed that no i literally when i went i was so excited because you know obviously they weren't like cody was not a senior and i was like really you had to leave right before i got here so yeah it was tough to see them go but um we still had some good players but those were the two that got me excited to go to iu and then they left me sadly <laughs> Dang. Well, um, I'm looking forward to it. I absolutely think Indiana can pull an upset or two because um, I think they are going to get slotted in that 11-12 range, maybe even higher if they end up winning the Big Ten tournament. I don't know. It's Saturday morning. Um, selection Sunday's tomorrow. I'm excited. Rachel, thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yes, of course. Always like to talk about my Hoosiers. <laughs> All right, Rachel, take care. You too. Bye. All right, Thomas Vanderwall is here. Um, Thomas is a St. Mary Gale alum. He is a graduate of St. Mary's in California. He follows St. Mary's Hoops. Uh, been following them, I mean, I guess since you we were in college. Um, attended the tournament in 2019 when they beat... Wait, did they beat Villanova? No, they lost to Villanova. They lost to Villanova. They lost to Villanova in 2019. He's witnessed the resurrection of uh, the St. Mary's basketball program ever since Randy Bennett took over, I believe, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yep. Um, I believe his first year, I think they were something like 2-27. and 27. Yeah. And uh, ever since early 2010s, late 2000s, they've been a consistent uh, 20-plus win team, single-digit losses. Um, I don't know. I've been really impressed by what he's done. But uh, Thomas, I'll give you the floor. State your case for the St. Mary's Gales to win the national championship. Great. Yeah, I've been so I was at St. Mary's in the mid '80s. Uh, I had transferred in and got to know the basketball team uh, during that time. Um, I was rowing. Uh, our dinner time. Our weight room time. Uh, was shared with the basketball team. Um, so got to know them really, really well. Um, and when they were out of season, the coaches couldn't talk to them. Um, their manager was away. I got to run uh, their sessions and training sessions. Um, and their coach then did some really interesting things, uh, like playing in a mostly dark gym. I'd have a whistle. They would call a play. I'd blow the whistle. They'd stop shut their eyes, and I would say, defending point guard, where's the forward? And they would have to point. And we'd do this for 45 minutes to an hour. Um, so that was like 85, 86. 1989, they broke a 30-year drought to go to the dance for the first time. Um, and that, since then, they have been back nine times. Um, so that was during... Uh, when the WCC had Hank Gaither's um, Bo Kimball, uh, was phenomenal basketball. It was great to go to the um, the tiny little St. Mary's gym um, and root for St. Mary's, and it would just get loud and crazy in there. Um, since Bennett has been there, he set up this uh, wonderful little uh, secret wormhole to Australia, picking up Australia players, Patty Mills, Matthew Della Vadova, um, He's got, has had six or seven of the Australia national team players uh, who have played for St. Mary's. 
Uh, currently, they've got two Australians. Uh, Foto, who is a junior or senior, um, is from New Zealand. And he played high school basketball in uh, Hawaii. Um, they've got Sharunish Marshallonis, uh, kid who was a Golden State Warrior, uh, for a long time and Lithuania, um, Olympian. Um, his son is 6'4", just, uh, like Sharunish, plays very much like him, uh, plays big guard, solid guard, um, usually St. Mary's red shirts that are incoming players, particularly guards, um, and big men. Um, and he is playing. Um, and getting good minutes um, and really showing his worth. Uh, they also have Tyler Johnson, or not Tyler Johnson, Logan Johnson, who is Tyler Johnson's younger brother uh, in the NBA, plays and shoots very much like Tyler Johnson. Great outside shooting, very crafty with the ball. Uh, he plays uh, shooting guard. Uh, St. Mary's usually plays sort of a two-point guard system if they can. Um so they've got Tommy Coos, um, who is a senior, I think a fifth-year senior. Um, and he is their uh, main point guard. Very good with the ball. St. Mary's plays a very slow, uh, defense-driven uh, style of basketball. Um, every shot is contested, inside, outside. Um, they make you work for your, your points. Um, and quite often they wear the other team down and then they bring the ball up. They quite often have um, good size inside players um, who can also shoot from outside. Um, so they will open up the, the inside. Um, right now they've got um, a small big um, uh, Matthias, uh, Matthias Tas from Estonia, uh, who is 6'10", which is small for them. Uh, usually have a couple players over seven foot. They've got a 7'4 freshman, or 7'4 junior uh, from Utah, uh, Matt Van Komen, who is sitting out this year. Um, essentially redshirting, doing his redshirt time. Um, but that's sort of the, the size that they tend to lean on. Uh, they also have uh, Mike Mitchell Saxon, who's 6'10", um, and plays a true center position. Doesn't really shoot much from outside. Um, but Matthias uh, Toss can play inside, shoot from outside, uh, distributes the ball really well. Um, he was giving Gonzaga inside game just tons of grief. Um, and so that's one of the things that's really interesting to watch them play is just how they shift and how they defend differently. Um, very different styles of play, and they very much grind you down and force you to play the way that they play, which is slow. Um, if you want to get out and run, they can get out and run. Uh, Logan Johnson loves to run. Alex Dukas loves to run. Fotu loves to run. Um, and it's just, it, it, they're really fun to watch. But the defense is going to keep your the other team's offense probably under 80 points. Um and then just sort of wear you down, shooting inside, shooting outside, very much ball control for the first 15 to 20 seconds. Um, and then they will start working on their play, um, doing inside out, getting the best shot. Uh, they quite often have Warriors coaches um, and leadership who are in the gym. And they spend an awful lot of time talking to the players. 
um, and sort of watching the Golden State Warriors inside out play and passing the ball to a better shot is something that Randy Bennett has always preached. Um, and it is something that the, the Gales have always uh, done as well. Um, the Gales also have an insanely vocal and crazy fan base of alumni. Um, and for when you're at St. Mary's, the group is called Gale Force, and then they're sort of Gale Force alumni. Um, and when you, when I went to the, uh, to watch them play at Hartford in the first round of the 19, uh, 2019 tournament, they've got rugby shirts for you. They've got, uh, with, uh, SMC Gale spelled out if you want. Uh, they've got flags, they've got hats, whatever you need. They're ready to, um, uh, deck you out, um, as long as you're willing to go absolutely crazy, um, and just get loud, get crazy, no matter where they have you in the arena, you're going to be the loudest section in the arena. Um, and so it's, it's an awful lot of fun. Um, and St. Mary's players always say they feel like they have a home, a home court advantage, no matter where they are, just because the alumni and students that travel and just go absolutely nuts for them. Um, and so it's, they cause an awful lot of problems for an awful lot of teams where they get seated, I think is going to make a sort of big difference. Um, if they get somewhat, if they get seated under 10, I think they would have a pretty good chance to go very far. Um, and the farthest they've gotten in the tournament so far is 16 seed. Uh, and that was, that I, be- was I believe they made 20, the, 2010. Yeah, I was about to say that the, there were a 10 seed in 2010. I believe they knocked yeah. off. Do, did they knock off Villanova? I know they upset the two yeah, seed in the second Villanova. round. They beat Richmond. They beat Villanova uh, 75 68. They lost to Baylor 72 49. Mm-hmm. Um, and Baylor was number three seed. Yeah. Um, they had Omar Samhan, who was a 7 2 center, um, who was absolutely nuts. He would just get pumped up crazy on the court. Um, and, uh, they had Mickey McConnell, just phenomenal point guard. Um, uh, and the two of them played really well. I don't know. I think that was right after Della Vadova left. Um, they had two other guards that picked up his, uh, shooting prowess from outside. Um, and so it was, it's been really incredible to watch. Um, the last two years they've been down a little bit, um, after the 2019, they had an awful lot of seniors, an awful lot of their really good players rotated out. They didn't have, I think they only had one Australian come in. Um, and they're, uh, they had Fotu come in uh, from New Zealand. Uh, he's taken a couple of years to get his feet under him. Um, is now playing really, really well. Really good mid-range, really good defender. Um, loves to get to the hoop and power um, the ball either with hard layup using glass or to throw it down. Um, and it's just, you know, they can basically run with anybody, play different styles of game, and if they can, and they quite often do, force the other team to play their slow style, uh, they've got a really strong advantage. They sound, um, they sound like... Bennett's experience and just how they train them... Um, you know, they help them with footwork. They help them with all sorts of different technique. Um, help all the players improve greatly 
get to a high level NCAA um, caliber of um, skill, talent, seeing the court, understanding the game, understanding how to manufacture um, disadvantage in the other team, um, get them so that they are not playing to their advantage, but they're playing to their disadvantages. Um, and it's often really fun to watch just how St. Mary's gets the other team to do what they don't do well. Um, and it's not only the coaching, but they instill it down to the players. Um, but it all starts from the defense, challenging every single shot, great footwork on defense, um, hands up uh, in the other uh, other team's face. Um, and so if you're taking away easy shots for the other team, which they didn't do in the 2019, uh, Slater for Villanova, who was a freshman out of, I think, DeMatha, um, he just went off in that game. He's not had another game like that. Uh, but he was just shooting threes from deep and just completely unconscious. Um, he was not on their scouting chart. Um, they had a tough time adjusting to him at halftime. Um, and he just was taking shots from deeper and deeper in the second half. And that was difficult to, to get back from. No doubt. I mean, St. Mary's, they're a team that can control the pace, whether it be slow or fast. They're a team that they've only allowed 70-plus points six times. Yeah. All season, and they've hung tough with other tournament teams. Uh, they beat yeah. San Francisco twice. Um, yeah. They hung with Wisconsin. They only lost to them by single digits. They beat Notre Dame. Um, yeah. They beat, should be, a Sun champion, Bellarmine. They beat them. Yeah. <laughs> um, they beat Gonzaga. Yeah. So they have a lot of quality wins on their resume. They're coached by a very good coach who has a long track record of success at this program, yeah. completely turned them around. Um, I would imagine that they're probably going to get a higher seed than they've ever gotten. I mean, they've always been slotted in the 7, 8, 9, 10 range. I'm going to yep. expect them to get somewhere in the single-digit seeds. But I don't know. This sounds like a very fundamentally sound team who plays really, really good defense is going to, again, expose weaknesses. Um, yep. And that's, I don't know, I feel like that's a huge thing in the tournament. If you're able to expose your other opponent's weakness, make them play to your pace, and again, yep. you've got a great coach leading the mm-hmm. way. I think St. Mary's is actually, they're pretty dangerous this year in my, in my personal yep. opinion. And you've made a very, very good case for them to yep. go, for them to go pretty far. Yep. Um, and the, uh, St. Mary's, um, fan base, uh, quite often the rallying cry is God is a gale. And, um, the WCC is mostly Catholic colleges for the most part. And all of them have sort of their different thing, but the God is a gale is, um, is what you're than any of the other ones no it's um, it, it rolls off the tongue you got two g's in there and it's uh it's something i yep. feel like people can get behind pretty easily yep which i like a lot but um thomas vanderwall that was probably one of the better cases i have heard for any team i have had on the, on this series it's very <laughs> clear you watch them a lot uh you're able to articulate uh how just like how really rock solid st mary's is and i think that could go a long way in march madness yeah, they've been they've been difficult to watch because they're not on TV. So you have to sort of get them streaming, hang out with the uh, their online board, um, and follow them as much as I can. But the, they usually start the game start about ten thirty at night or eleven o'clock at night. Just like, ah, <laughs> do I want to watch another one? Can I watch this later? And usually it's only a live stream. So it's um, they've been tough to watch. But whenever I can catch a game, um, I will clear everything else. Um, to watch 
Oh, well, Thomas, thank you very much. This was this was very good. This is again one of the better cases I've heard for a team. And uh, best of luck in March Madness. I'm excited to see St. Mary's. Thank you. Of course. See you later. Again, thanks. All right, Michael Ward is here. He's a classmate of mine. Uh, he follows Virginia Tech basketball pretty closely. The Hokies won the ACC tournament last night. They beat Duke in pretty convincing fashion. They're rolling into March Madness hot. Michael Ward, Virginia Tech basketball fan. You have the floor, my friend. Why are the Virginia Tech Hokies maybe not going to win the national championship, but at the very least, why are they going to make some noise come later this week and possibly even further? You know, I think what makes Virginia Tech special is not the fact that they can get hot and shoot the ball really well, because there are tons of teams like that, and that's all the national, what the NCAA tournament is about. But Virginia Tech has so many different players who can get hot and who can make all those shots. Like you saw it with uh, Darius Maddox had a career night one night, and then Hunter Couture goes off the next. It has 31 points, and then earlier in the series, you know, you'll have Mutz and Aluma. Uh, chopping it up against Clemson and just Virginia Tech has just too many players to that uh, are capable of getting hot and that are once they get hot like you can't really stop them unless uh, you're as hot as them basically and um, our defense has been very uh, good we've um, we've had like spurts where uh, teams will get on runs but we I've seen the, the halftime adjustments against uh unc's pick and roll they started doing a three-man switch which was it, they they didn't they weren't doing it in the first half they were guarding the shooter um and they uh were just doing a two-man uh switch on the pick and rolls but then they started bringing over the health side and leaving the shooter and unc couldn't hit three so the, the adjustments like that during halftime that uh didn't allow teams to make those runs so that's why virginia tech can get hotter than the other teams basically Mm. Um, so we know about, um, that was a good case. We know about a guy like Kevin Aluma. First of all, talk to me. I know he was, he was a preseason wooden favorite, if I'm correct. Um, he was part of the, or was it all American? Uh, Naismith. Uh, Naismith. Naismith. Excuse me. He was yeah. on the Naismith watch list. So yeah, talk Kevin to me about, is, talk to me about him. He is a really good, he's, he's a very good player. Um, he and Mutz have a really good chemistry together. One of them sort of extroverted, one of them sort of introverted. Kevin's more of a quiet guy. You won't see him get as excited as someone like Mutz who will dunk on Banchero and then uh, stare him down a little bit. But, uh, man, Aluma is very good for our offense because he can stretch the floor off the pick and roll. And when you have four out of five players, sometimes five out of five players on the court, that can shoot the three, and Aluma is one of them popping off pick and rolls. And then you have uh, a guy like Mutz come to the basket, who you also have to respect as a post player. It's really hard to guard. And unless we're missing shots, you know, good luck, basically. Mm, yeah, talk to me about, um, talk, speaking of making shots, I don't know, at the very least, I watched, um, I watched both Miami-Virginia Tech games. And the one guy that I feel like was kind of a hidden X factor was Couture. And Couture, Couture, uh, he's just constantly moving. I mean, one thing that makes great shooters great is that they're constantly moving off the ball. And Couture, you have to pay attention to, 
I feel like at all times, he was getting his number called a lot last night against Duke. Um, I don't know. What have your thoughts been on Hunter Couture as like the season's gone along? Man, I have so much respect for him because I know what it's like to be face guarded like that. And the first time I really got face guarded and like I got shut down, um, I was like, damn, Couture does this day in and day out against teams that scout him and know he's going to shoot close to 50% from the three-point line. And he's still getting not, – he had nine threes against Florida State. And Florida State knew he was going to be that good of a shooter. I mean, his movement and defense off the ball – or on no, his defense on the ball and his movement off the ball is really good and makes him an incredibly valuable player on the team. And he's – He's uh, he's sneaky athletic. I'll say that. <laughs> I know a, a lot of people like to use that term for uh, uh we'll leave that that for yeah. uh, guards that don't look like they can dunk on you. Oh yeah, but no. Kator no. is very good, man. When and you saw last night when he gets hot. I mean, there's not much you can do, you know. Oh yeah, no seven. Doubt. What was he? Seven for eight, six for seven from three. Super efficient. Super efficient. Yeah. That. Um, but yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, are you a big Mike Young fan? Mike Young. Oh, the coach? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I really, I, uh, I'm a fan, yeah. He's yeah, I like him. He's got a really deep playbook, and um, I think that's what kind of helps Couture. Uh, he, his, he has so many options, no matter how Couture gets played. If they go under or over the screen, if they switch the first screen, then double the second or whatever, like go over the second screen, there's a different play for whatever they do, and that's definitely what helps our shooters get open because uh, Mike Young has so many options in his playbook, and there's all the players are, they've been coached very well, and they know what to do no matter how they're played on the pick and roll or the no matter how their screens are played. Yeah, they play like a pretty experienced team. Um, Last thing, do you like this team or the 2019 team better? Oh, um... Definitely this team, because there's so much experience, and Mutz is so much of a better player. Wait, who was, uh, who was... So the 2019 team, you had, you had Robinson at point guard, the quick, fast right, guy. Right, and that was the, uh, that was a loss to Duke with Zion, right? Yeah, yeah. No, um, that team had a better record. Yeah, that team was a four but, seed. But I don't know. Yeah. I feel like there's an argument for this team to I don't know be be a little more likable, just like to make noise and just like liking them. Period. Just as like an underdog story. Yeah, the problem with us is if we aren't hitting those shots, we can be like a bad team. And once we start going to like just trying the ISO and through a Luma and like getting a Luma in the post, I mean in the ACC tournament he was fabulous and he was scoring on those mismatches but if we can't if he's not like getting that bucket you know we're a much uh, like weaker team i'll say that um that said though i i do like this team more just because of the uh amount of players that can go off and have a career night every night and i mean we didn't even mention uh uh naheem aline he is he's an interesting player for Virginia Tech because he's more of like an ISO player. He stars, but he def, he doesn't really fit as well as um, the other players together. He's sort of the uh, end of the shot clock guy. Mm. That's what I think of when I think of him. Hey, but create your own shot. It's very clear that you have a lot of guys that you can count on, especially in crunch time. 
which I think is extremely valuable. And um, I don't know, just as the ACC tournament went along, as they were winning, especially against Duke last night, like they didn't look afraid of anything. Like they didn't, they, they no. just looked very tough. They, they weren't fearful of anything. They all play with like a chip on their shoulder. They're all very experienced. Um, you heard the announcer saying it last night. They like all those starters were like three stars, two stars, no star player in high school came from mid-majors like Tator, I don't think he I think he might have had like two offers and one of them was to Wofford and usually when a coach leaves a program like Wofford to go to Virginia Tech he's not going to bring his recruits like that with him because you know he can get better players at Virginia Tech because it's a uh power five versus mid-major but no those guys are uh he's good you know like they can play and they just want to prove that basically because they they came from uh like way worse opportunities and the other kids yeah and i like think that duke and stuff yeah i think that mid-major like zero star um one star two star three star i think that mentality is extremely valuable because like nothing was given to them and then you're playing against these guys like a duke or you're going to see in the tournament they're probably going to be a 12 seed they're going to play a five seed um who's probably had better recruits who were highly more high, way more highly touted coming out of high school and um i don't know i feel like there's a lot of teams in the tournament like that and I don't know, I kind of like that. I mean, when you look at even in the NBA, look at the Heat. Like, a lot of the guys on the Heat were either undrafted or just not very highly touted. And guys like Gabe Vincent and Omer Yurtseven and, like, Max Struess, I think, is the embodiment of the mentality of, like, an undrafted player looking to prove himself. It's just a bunch of those guys with that mentality. And that's what I think makes them really good. And I think Virginia yeah. Tech's a similar way. And there's a lot of, like, with all the transfer boards, a lot more, like, fifth-year, sixth-year players now. And Virginia Tech has a, a lot of experience. The Heat, though, man, the Heat love their G League players. I've been following the G League for a while, and they're all constantly calling guys up for 10 days. And they're, like, playing well. They're turning them into very serviceable, productive yeah. basketball players, which is a testament to how good that organization is, which I yeah. think is pretty and cool. and there's, there's so much talent in the G League. Oh, no doubt. I mean, I see, um, I follow a few G League pages on Instagram. Like, Sharif Cooper has been amazing yeah. for the Skyhawks. That's just, like, one example. Like, even, you see a bunch of NBA guys going down to the G League. Like, Cam Thomas, he's played two games with the Long Island Nets, and he averaged, like, 36 in two games. Right. Which is crazy. And then there was that one guy who had back-to-back 50-point games. I know who you're, I forgot his name, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, G League's fun. Um, any final words regarding Virginia Tech before March Madness kicks off later this week? Um, I would say if you're going to pick us to go deep, have us going deep. If you're not picking us to go deep, don't have us going very deep. You know, I don't think it's going to be very, uh, like middle, you know, we're either going to be good or we're going to lose in the first round. All right. That's good advice. I will take that to heart. But, uh, I think I think we're I think we're gonna be good though. It looks like hopefully we can stay hot. I think if you guys stay hot, I think that's a dangerous team. But yes. um, yeah, I agree. Uh, Michael, thanks a lot for coming on. Much appreciated. Of course. And uh, best of luck to Virginia Tech. Thank you, thank you for having me on, Quinn. Of course. See you, dude. See ya. Surprise! It's me, Quentin Corpybo. I have put myself in the series, and I will be 
given the case for the Miami Hurricanes to win the national championship. I've watched a good bit of college basketball this year, but Miami, they're the team I've watched the most. The team that I've watched the most since I started watching college basketball around a decade ago. Um, and they're going to be in the tournament for the first time since 2018. So here we go. The case for the Canes to win the chip. Again, like the other 7-10 to 10 seeds in this series, the, the case is a little more far-fetched compared to the Gonzagas and the Arizonas. But nevertheless, there is one, so let's do it. Miami can get buckets. They have numerous talented shot creators that can go mano-a-mano with their defender and uh, get their own and score on ball when needed. Um, Cam Augusti, first-team All-ACC, transfer from Oklahoma, where he was also All-Big 12, averages around 17.5 a game. Probably Miami's best on-ball scorer. He can really score from all three levels, just a major threat from everywhere on the court. Um, Charlie Moore, transfer from Cal and Kansas and DePaul. Yeah, he's been everywhere. Uh, he's pretty small. He's 5'11", but he is fearless. He will pull up from the parking lot and make it. He's just very smart with the basketball. There's this element of safeness when the ball's in his hands. And Miami is just generally a very smart team. Like, there are very little dumb self-inflicted errors. They're top 25 in the country in fewest turnovers and assist-to-turnover ratio. And they're top 12 in turnover margin, which is cool. Um, Isaiah Wong, sophomore out of New Jersey. The leap he has made this year has been incredible just his ability to create off the dribble there have been so many games where he's just had several like tough buckets like just last week the boston college game he was on one the duke game at cameron indoor he was attacking paolo bancaro and mark williams without any fear whatsoever uh sam mordenberg six-year senior can light it up from the outside and he's got a little on bar scoring sprinkled in um he's more of a like a post passer he's really good He's a really good passer, but he, he can score on the ball a little bit. Um, and in crunch time, at any level of basketball, you need guys who can get buckets. And Miami's got a big three of them. Miami, they also play bigger than their size. So Miami's a pretty small team. Uh, Wardenberg, again, six-year senior. He starts at center, or I guess the quote, the traditional five. And while he is 6'10", him and Anthony Walker are the only two guys that get significant playing time that are taller than 6'5". This is a very guard-heavy lineup, but... Miami plays a lot bigger than that. They're really just not afraid of anybody. There hasn't been a single game where Miami has looked passive. They always look to attack on offense. On defense, they constantly play hard and just annoy the hell out of teams. They're not going to emotionally or mentally fold. That's not happening. They're, again, they're really annoying on defense. They get a lot of steals. In fact, they lead the ACC in steals per game. They're top 12 in the country in total steals. Uh, they play zone a lot of the time because of the usual size disadvantage they have against other teams, but they play it very well. They'll trap hard a lot up top, which has caused problems for a lot of teams. I'm going to reference the Duke game again from early January. You think they would bludgeon Miami inside with Mark Williams and Paolo Bancaro and Theo John too? They did when Duke got the ball inside. Like Miami barely allowed them to get <laughs> touches in the paint because... A, the perimeter defense was amazing, and B, the interior defense, Miami just did an amazing job of fronting the Duke big men inside, and I feel like that is translatable to the tournament, and that goes back to them being very smart, being fundamentally sound. Um, look at their resume. They've beaten quality teams. That signature win was at Cameron Indoor in early January. They beat North Carolina by 28, 10 days later. They beat Virginia Tech on the road. They beat Wake Forest twice, and they 
played Duke pretty close last Friday. It was a four-point loss. Um, speaking of close losses, they know how to win close games. Miami's played 24 games this season that have been decided by 10 points or less, and they've won 17 of them. They've come back and won five games after being down double digits, including two 18-point comebacks against Syracuse, and they are the only team in the ACC with 10 true road wins. This team is also very old. I'm pretty sure Miami is one of the 10 oldest teams in college basketball in terms of median age. Uh, McGusty, Charlie Moore, uh, Sam Mortenberg, all starters. They're all six-year seniors. They've played a lot of college basketball. Uh, Jordan Miller, senior, Miami's leading rebounder, a dog, a DAWG dog. Senior, played three years at George Mason. Uh, even the underclassmen, Wong, Walker, like they've been in big spots before. And experience wins in March Madness. Um, it, it does, and Miami's got it. And finally, they have a phenomenal coach leading the way in Jim Laranega. Absolutely love Jim Laranega. He just got a contract extension, um, and he's been doing this for a while now. He led George Mason to all but one winning season uh, in the, I believe, 14 seasons he coached there. And the one losing season was the first year he got there in 97-98. Um, he took them to five tournaments and obviously included the famous Final Four run in 06. And at Miami, he's led the Canes to now what is going to be five NCAA tournament appearances. And he's just, he's loved by the players. He's loved by the fan base. Again, he has a long, long track record, a long history of success. And um, I don't know, at any sport, you got to look at uh, a championship contender. You got to ask their coach, if their coach is good. And if the answer is yes, huge advantage. Now, where might Miami struggle? Uh, rebounding. They rank 319th out of 351 Division I teams in rebounding margin. Uh, they were last in the ACC in rebounds per game. And again, this pertains to their lack of size, which I think can hurt them. Like, for example, if they get a 10 seed, they win their first game. And they get a team like Kentucky or Duke in the second round, just two big teams with very good rebounders. I do worry a little bit. Um, Miami's also not amazing on defense. They're 227th in points allowed per game. They've allowed 80-plus points six times this season. So I don't love that, especially because having a good defense, it's just more reliable on a night-to-night -night basis than having a good offense. Like, like, you can always rely on playing good defense, and Miami doesn't really have a great defense, which obviously is good. But um, I'll conclude with this. Um, there have obviously been better Miami teams over this past decade. Like, nothing will compare to the 2012-13 team with Shane Larkin, Durant Scott, Kenny Kaji, um, Reggie Johnson, Julian Gamble, Trey McKinney-Jones. Like, that was another level of basketball in Coral Gables. 2015-2016, um, Sheldon McClellan, Angel Rodriguez, Davon Reed, Jaquan Newton, they were also way better. Um, even, like, the 2017-18 team that lost to Loyola Chicago in the first round. Lonnie Walker, young Chris Likes, like that, that was also a very good team. Still had Jaquan Newton. Um, Good team as well. Um, this team is a ton of fun too. And I think in terms of the level of fun, it's it's right up there. Maybe not with 12-13, but it's, it definitely is in contention for second place. This 21-22 team. I mean, they were picked to finish 12th in the ACC before the year. Like half of last year's team transferred, including Chris Likes, who is currently at Arkansas, balling out, who is Miami's everything on offense over the past few years, not including this one. Um, it looked like it was going to be another down year. Um, enough transfers came in to field a team. That's what I was worried about when, like, so many guys from last year's team transferred. 
Uh, and boom, 22-9 regular season, heading to the big dance. Why not us? Vibes are high. Great wins. Um, underdog mentality. I mean, I've, I've loved it. I really have. Uh, my one request is to get Mario Cristobal to the tournament. Uh, Miami's, one of their best moves this year was getting Cristobal to go to the second Florida State game at Watsco. Uh, at this point in the season, Miami was 14-4. and four. They had beaten Duke and Carolina in the span of 10 days. And at that point, Miami fans were like, okay, this is for real. And sold out the second Florida State game at Wasco Center. Florida State comes into Miami. is rolling going into halftime, up 43-19. to 19. It is all Knowles. Crystal Ball, at the halftime break, gets the microphone and gets the crowd going like it's a freaking music festival. Like, the crowd's going crazy. After Crystal Ball speaks, Miami comes back from 26 down and almost wins it at the buzzer. Like, they came all the way back. They almost won it at the buzzer, but they lost. Nevertheless, I think Mario single-handedly got Miami back into that game, and I think they could definitely use that jolt uh, later this week. So that is my one That is my one request. But Miami, I actually think they can make a ton of noise. They're experienced. They're tough. They're, they're gritty. They can score. They make teams extremely uncomfortable on defense. There's an underdog mentality about them that I think people can really get behind. I've loved watching them this year. They're just, again, a ton of fun. And they are led by Jim Laranega, an amazing coach. And um, just watch out for the Canes. That is what I will say. All right, that's it for the podcast. Thank you all for listening. Again, I really, really enjoyed this little mini college basketball project I got to embark on. I mean, again, I love college basketball, and I'm very glad, very thankful I was able to share it with others that shared a similar love for college basketball. Um, Later this week, I should have some more thoughts on Tom Brady coming out of retirement, should have some more thoughts on a couple MLB trades that happened earlier today. Should have some more NBA thoughts, and we're going to be covering March Madness. Man, it has been a whirlwind of a day, and it is going to be a whirlwind of a week. I'm stumbling over my words, but um, I'm very excited. It's going to be action-packed. There's going to be a lot happening, and we're going to be here to cover it. So once again, thank you all for listening. I will see you next time. Mm -hmm.